Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, är så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keep Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys, one of whom is very proudly wearing a Panthers hat right now. I feel like I bought this hat specifically for this week's show because they are just going nuts right now. Go Panthers! I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski, with me, as always, for a really fun show where we're going to be going through every single 5% band of Yahoo percent rostered and discuss a hot streak and cold streak from each of those bands. I don't know who came up with this crazy idea and how we're going to fit this into a regular show. Uh, with me to go on this journey with you is my great friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, we are here with a mega, mega show coming at you. Elon, I don't know where you got this idea either to do this giant, giant show in our usual slot, but I'm ready. Like, I've done my research. We're prepped. We're locked. We're loaded. And we're ready to go. And you might be wearing the Florida Panthers hat, Elon, but I am wearing my Keeping Carlson Champions t-shirt, which shows just one of us is invested in the podcast as much as they should be. I don't. I don't understand what's what's the dig here that oh I should be like supporting the pod and not the Panthers. Yeah, we're our merch, not the Panthers. Look, man, I'm in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Tier One, the Tier One of the best league in the world, and I've got Duclair, Barkov, and Verhage. And I was losing in my matchup to Kyle, your former nemesis. You may remember from Tier 2 last year. I was losing to him going into Friday-Saturday games for the Panthers. And then they scored like 16 goals in those games. And I came back and won almost all thanks to them. So it is connected to the podcast because now I'm 8-5. and five. I'm on my way, took a cup full championship, and one day I'll get one of those shirts. Well, here's the thing, Elon. You already have one of those shirts, and you have a head, and you have a torso, so you could be representing both, but it's okay. This I'm is, a, it. this I'm is gonna... an audio show for most people, so I don't think right. they care too much about it. I just wanted to think of something to start the show. I didn't, I didn't mean to get too deep into it. Well, how about we start the show, then? <laughs> okay, well, I was ready to go. You're the one who's already circling back. Okay, uh, like we said, we've got a banger for you today. Basically, what happened is I sat down, I was like, oh, I don't know if I have enough players to talk about. Maybe I should come up with a theme, and now we have, like, a million players to talk about. So, uh, before we get into this show, let's just mention that Keeping Carlson is very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. I love this site. I go there every day. Their tools at Frozen Tools, just phenomenal. They have a schedule tool that I like even better than the schedule tool I made at keepingcarlson.com slash tools. So hot tip for people. Use the one on, on uh, Frozen Tools instead of mine. Also, the articles on Dabber Hockey are amazing. Michael Clifford like writes great stuff. We just uh, emailed him to ask him if he wants to come on a future show. So, Michael, if you're listening, come on over. Uh, yeah, DabberHockey.com. It's the best. Now, Brian, once again, the plan for the show. For each 5% band of percent rostered, we're going to do one hot streak and one cold streak, and we're going to do a Keeping Carlson Classic, the question of sustainable or fleeting. Do we think this player, whether it's a hot streak or a cold streak, do you think that what's happening recently, is that going to keep going? Is what you're seeing something that could sustain? Or is this just like a blip in the radar, either hot or cold, and they'll go back to normal afterwards? And like, of course, like if we're talking about a hot streak, I don't mean for us to be like, yeah, Trevor Moore's not going to get two assists every night. Like if I ask you if 
Trevor Moore is like sustainable or fleeting with his hot streak. I guess I mean more like, is he going to continue to be like fantasy relevant and worth rostering? Like, you know, just to make it make it clear, like some of these hot streaks are like over a point per game. I don't think like all these players are potentially going to be over a point per game, but some of them will. And let's start at the top here. 95% to 100% rostered. Obviously, I had a lot of great players to choose from, mostly players that are hot because they should be, and it's not a big surprise. Like, I was thinking I could bring up the Bruins again and how people should be lining up to thank Brian for not even wavering a little on David Pasternak back when he was cold. Brian was like, try to trade for Pasternak. You know it's the right idea. And I was like, well, but he's on the second line now. Turns out it doesn't matter. But anyway, so I don't need to bring up the Bruins again. We talked about them also last week when they changed up the lines. Uh, I've got a couple Panthers planned for later in the show, of course. Uh, I could have, in this band, brought up Jonathan Huberdeau, who's now tied for second in league scoring. I don't know if people are aware of this. McDavid, Ovechkin, and Huberdeau all tied for second, one point behind Dreisaitl. So this is going to be a fun race. But again, like, what are we going to say about Huberdeau? He's amazing. Rantanen, by the way, not far behind, currently on pace for a career-high 113 points with 44 points in 32 games. Uh, if he only didn't miss that handful of games, he'd be in the scoring race as well. So I thought he would have been interesting. But no, I'm going to land my question on a goalie. Okay, I want to quickly discuss Igor Shestjorkin. 99% rostered, of course, who I think if we were to do another Schmore goalies board show right now, tearing the goalies, I'd be ready to put Shostjorkin in tier one with Vasilevsky. I think when we talked about him last, I was like, yeah, like, he's been really great, but, you know, Vasilevsky's someone that's, you know, been more reliable for longer, just someone that we could depend on. But at this point, man, Shostjorkin is just money. Like, coming off COVID protocol, he shut out the Sharks, stopping 37 on Thursday. He helped the Rangers beat Philly, stopping 26 of 28 on Thursday. Uh, I'm starting to get to a point where I think we have to consider the Rangers, like, serious cup contenders this year just because they may have the best goalie in the game to go along with all their star skaters you know how viable just to have a goalie like that in the playoffs we saw Carey price last year brian 939 save percentage 1.99 gaa through 23 games do you concur with me that just Jorkin is now in tier one territory or do you still see any other reasons why we should doubt him or is it like very clear like top one or two goalies next year in drafts Yes, absolutely. He is. And we mentioned this on our mid-season Schmore goalies board that we did a few weeks back that Shostjorkin is the only other goalie that could be considered in that rarefied air that is tier one of our goalie tiers currently occupied solely by Andre Vasilevsky. But yeah, I think Shostjorkin is the second goalie drafted in leagues next year. And I think there's a good chance he could be the second goalie drafted in the first round because he has proven himself to be that reliable. This season, he's second in the league in five-on-five pucks stopped above expected or for the nerds, Delta Fenwick save percentage. Uh, Guess who's first, Elon? You never will. Jack Campbell. No. Okay, if I never will, then let's just move on. (laughs) Okay, uh, it's Jonathan Quick. Oh, yeah, he's been good. By a mile. Yeah, he had some really, really amazing play earlier on in the season. It's kind of been tapering off a little more on him a little later in the show. But yeah, it's quick. Then Shostjorkin, and then Ilya Sorokin, Freddie Anderson, and Alex Nedeljkovic round out the pack that's leading the rest of the NHL goaltending crew. And Shostjorkin is right up there, and yeah, he seems super reliable. Usually with goalies, we can never feel safe or secure, and usually with any player, we want to see a bit more of a sample before buying in, but I feel like I've seen what I need to see from Igor Shostjorkin, not just in his play in the NHL, but everywhere else. This guy's a machine, and I would absolutely put him in tier one if we were ranking goalies today. 
Okay, so then a cold streak. This is more interesting, right? Someone that's still 95 to 100% rostered on Yahoo, but yet is cold, and we need to start being a little bit concerned. I picked out Elias Lindholm. He's 96% rostered on Yahoo, and after starting the season near point per game, he's ran cold over this past month. Only one goal and one assist in his last seven games. Last season, Lindholm paced for 69 points. It seemed like he was on track to crush that and get back to closer to like a point per game like he was in his first season in Calgary, but now he's basically sitting at exactly a 70-point pace, so basically same as last year and like i said it's kind of been falling pretty quickly lately uh in calgary's latest game versus ottawa coach sutter reunited the lindholm goudreau kachuk line after that short stretch where it looked like coleman might take a joe's spot so you know it's back to the top three guys on the top line plus of course lindholm has that top power play spot so brian where do you see lindholm pacing rest of season like was it the scorching start to the year that was unsustainable or is it this cold run that won't keep up that scorching start to the year, just to put it in numbers, 11 goals and 16 assists for 27 points in Lindholm's first 27 games. Over those 27 games, Lindholm was only held off the score sheet six times. That's amazing. On the score sheet, night in, night out. One reason that Elias Lindholm is struggling lately, that he has just two points in his last seven games, that's because Lindholm is shooting just 6% versus the 14% shooting percentage that Lindholm started out the year at. But it's it's also not just that simple, because Lindholm is also taking just two shots per game over this cool stretch compared to three shots per game during the hotter one. But... It's also a points participation thing where Lindholm is not getting as many points as he generally would based on how many goals are being scored while he's on the ice. Like Lindholm has been on the ice for 12 goals in this last seven game cold stretch. And, you know, Gaudreau and Kachuk are still doing great, but Lindholm's only pointed on two of those 12 goals. And that's actually been a season long trend for Lindholm, believe it or not. Just 45% points participation at five on five versus his usual 65 to 70%. So to me, that actually says, hey, Lindholm, home should probably be getting in on some more goals than he has been both when he was cold and when he was hot. So, uh, you know, I, when you're trying to figure out where Lindholm is for the rest of the year, I mean, we saw Lindholm be an 80-point player in that big Johnny, Monty, and Lindholm breakout year that seems further and further in the past. Uh, and I actually think Lindholm's own individual numbers look better this year than they did that year. Like, Lindholm looks like he might have reached a- another level. But he's got his five-on-five points participation and shooting percentage working against him that he's still pacing for 70 points is a testament to how great Lindholm had been before running into this cold snap. I love what I'm seeing from him. And I think he makes a really great buy low. If you can find a manager worried that the sky is falling on Elias Lindholm and that this is the chickens coming home to roost, then you find that manager and you try and get Elias Lindholm off them because I'm pretty confident that Elias Lindholm has point per game potential for the rest of the season. And I think at least 70 points the rest of the way is a really reasonable expectation. Okay, great. I like that. Uh, I feel like of all the stats you generally use, that points participation is really compelling, right? If he was on the ice for 12 goals recently and only got in on two of them, there's no way that keeps up. So that's just a marker of probably some bad luck. And yeah, so I'm with you. Maybe potential by low. Okay, let's go to the 90 to 95% rostered band. Here, I wanted to go back to the Rangers. We already talked about Chess Jorkin, but let's talk about a top liner here. And Chris Kreider, 92% rostered on Yahoo. I feel like we haven't talked about him yet this season. And it's probably because like he runs hot for a bit every 
injury season and then cools off. So when he started this year with goals in three straight, I almost thought to myself, there's no point asking Brian, like, is Kreider going to keep keep it up? Like, I know what he's going to say. He's going to be like, ah, Kreider does this all the time. But checking in now, he's now once again hot. He scored three goals in his last couple games. He has seven goals, not even point, seven goals in his last 10 games. Currently sitting at 24 goals and 11 assists in 39 games. That's a 50 goal and 74 point pace if he were to play 82 games at this rate. So, Brian, is there any chance that this is the year that Kreider doesn't cool off randomly and keeps doing what he's doing in a sustainable way? I'm glad you mentioned Kreider's goals, Elon, because that's that's tells the story of why Kreider's been doing so well, specifically his power play goals, where Kreider's career high in goals with the man advantage before this season was 11 power play goals. He got that last year, and he did that in just 50 games. This year, Kreider's already beaten that mark with 12 power play goals in just 39 games. Kreider sits just one goal shy of Leon Dreisaitl for the league lead and has three more than the third-ranked Austin Matthews in power play goals. And those 12 power play goals are basically the reason why Chris Kreider has been so valuable this season. And that's his whole power play contribution. He has 15 power play points. 12 of them are goals. If you look at Kreider's five-on-five production, you're not going to see anything special this year. It's actually right in line with with Kreider's five-on-five play last season when he paced for just 49 points. So this means anybody with Kreider needs to think, can he keep leaning on that power play goal production that he's shown so far? And my answer is that I don't think that he can. He's shooting 40% with the man advantage. That's almost twice as high as I'd expect. Then again, you know, we always have to give the Braden point caveat here because he shot 40% with the man advantage for an entire season a couple years ago. He just kept cashing in over and over. So it's not impossible that Kreider can keep up this heater for another 43 regular season games. Uh, But it's uh, not something that you want to bet on that Kreider can keep scoring power play goals and goals period at this pace. So if I have Kreider as good as he's been, I'm starting to send out feelers in the trade market to see what I can get back for him. The good news, if you do have him and are planning on holding on, is that Kreider's power play role has definitely increased these last two seasons where he's shooting more shots and scoring more goals. But if those don't keep up the way they've been, and I don't think they will, if I had to bet, Kreider's going to be turning back into a 60-65 point player over the course of the rest of the year. And Elon, I'm going to preempt your question. Yes, I would trade Chris Kreider for Elias Lindholm. Okay, interesting. I was about, I was just thinking that. So yeah, you could definitely read my mind and That wasn't in the prep talk. Uh, Lewis just said in the chat here, uh, Lewis, by the way, Lewis Ezekiel from Short Shifts, and you'll hear from him in a couple days. Uh, he said, I bet Kreider's among the league leaders in shortest distance each goal travels from stick to uh, red line. So that's interesting, right? Because like Kry- if he's taking a lot of his shots and scoring a lot of his goals from up close, and that would be an opportunity to score more goals. Of course, I'm just taking Lewis's word here that uh, this is true. But I remember when we used to talk to Prashant Thayer about the Red Wings, he brought up that title Bertuzzi had such a high shooting percentage because a lot of his shots were from up close. You'd expect him to have a higher shooting percentage. But all that said, I mean, a 50 goal pace is pretty high. So it makes sense that you don't think he'll be able to keep it up, especially if you're saying 40% shooting percentage on the power play. Of course, even if he falls to a 65 point pace, if most of it is goals, and if you're in a league like a couple where goals are worth more than assists, then you have to consider that because that still would probably be like 35, 40 goal pace. So yeah, obviously not nothing, but you're saying he won't be able to keep up what he's doing. Yeah, looking at Kreider's shot map on the power play, which you can do over at Hockey Viz, which we always credit in the show notes, you can see that Kreider is just parked out front on the power play, taking crazy high percentage shots, right? Lewis, as you mentioned, Elon joked in the chat about how how close to the red line Kreider is t- making all his shot attempts, which is fantastic. 
But even then, 40% is, I don't think you should be able to convert from 40% at 40% from anywhere on the ice in the NHL. Like if I wanted to regress generously for Chris Kreider, I'd probably put him at like a 25% power play shooting percentage, even given his shot location. So there's still likely some regression to come. But yeah, that would be consolation for anybody who wants to keep riding Kreider is that he is in an amazing spot on the ice to take shots and he seems to know how to make it work. Okay, yeah. So the cold streak I've got lined up for this 90 to 95% range is Nikolai Ehlers, okay? And he hasn't been terrible. To be honest, this group doesn't really have many cold players, at least when I checked this morning. Uh, but Ehlers has been in the COVID protocol, but should be out next week, which is great for him and for the Jets. So I think that's a good time to look at what's been, I guess, overall kind of a disappointing season, at least in terms of points. Ehlers currently sits at 25 points in 33 games. That's a 62-point pace, so well down from his 80-point pace breakout last season, and even down from the 60 67 point pace he had the year before uh, the curious thing with Ehlers is that he's actually been shooting the lights out this season he's pacing for over four shots per game when he previously was always around three shots per game so Brian is this just a clear situation of an unsustainably low shooting percentage meaning Ehlers is likely to be closer to his 2020-21 self for the second half of the season and now is a buy low time just like Elias Lindholm No, I don't think so. The problem with Nick Ehlers is the problem that's always existed for him that we've been ruining on this show forever is that the second power play unit, it's a very hard place to be a point per game player from last year. Ehlers beat the odds, pacing for an unlikely 23 power play points, mostly from the second unit, which powered him to that overall 80 point pace last season. This year, Ehlers is pacing for just a very humble seven or eight power play points, which is in line with what he's done on the second power play in most of the recent years Ehlers has played there. And that there, the the difference between 23 points and seven points on the power play, that's the entire difference between Ehlers' current 65-point pace and Ehlers' 80-point pace that he had on that year last season when he was amazing from the second unit. So there's no mystery here for me about what's going on with Ehlers. I'm not even digging deep into the shooting percentage, though I will for sure also acknowledge what you noticed about Ehlers' shooting, which is that his shot rates are visibly higher at 5-on-5 as well as on the power play. And to be fair to him, he should have potted at least a couple goals on the 27 power play shots he's taken, but he still has none. So you know, second unit plus more shooting that could make him a 70 point guy. But I think Ehlers is going to be really hard pressed, even as good as he is to repeat 80 points without a power play promotion or another bucket of luck from the second power play unit, which is the evergreen line on Nick Ehlers, unfortunately. Yeah, and I remember there was news at the beginning of the year that's like, he apparently likes it on the second power play. Like, he asked for that for all the people who are complaining. Like, why doesn't the coach ever give him a chance on the top power play? So it's interesting. I wonder if it'll ever change. Maybe it'll just take injuries. It's funny with Winnipeg, even when people get injured, someone else always takes over on that top power play. All right, let's go to the 85 to 90% rostered band on Yahoo. The hot streak I want to bring up is a guy who's rostered in 86% of leagues. I don't understand how it's not 100. It's Jason Robertson. He's actually currently day-to-day with a lower body injury. And for anyone interested, in case this lasts, uh, Yoel Kiviranta took Robertson's place on that really hot Pavelski and Hintz line versus Tampa on Saturday. Uh, then someone named Riley Damiani took a spot on the top power play that Robertson usually occupies. Uh, so if you're interested in a really deep cut, you can look at Kiviranta or Damiani. Again, obviously check to see because Robertson's day-to-day. Maybe he'll be back soon. But anyways, before he got hurt, he was on a roll 12 points in his last nine games on the season. Now, Robertson sits at 32 points in 28 games. That's a 94 full season point pace. That's incredible. 
Brian, like, is this for real? Like, we know Jason Robertson is good. He was a great rookie last year. He would have won the Calder if Kaprizov wasn't in the picture. Uh, like, are we looking at another, like, reasonable second-round pick in fantasy drafts next season? Like, I've brought up some other players, too. Like, I think it was Jack Hughes most recently. I was like, is this guy now fallen into the echelon of players that now we have to consider among the, you know, whatever, Gensels, Svechnikovs? It seems like if Jason Robertson can keep up what he's doing, he becomes a really important fantasy asset to your team and someone that people are gonna have to reach for next year yeah i'm bought in on jason robertson and it's a small leap of faith even if it doesn't seem like i'm sticking my neck out much it doesn't feel like i am but for anyone who's like there's not enough here i know and i still am buying it on jason robertson naysayers might say that jason robertson is scoring more goals than would be expected given his shot selection like his actual goals scored is outpacing his expected goals scored But that is what elite shooters can often be found doing. And I think Jason Robertson is making a play to be considered amongst the most dangerous shooters in the league. This guy scores goals. Go back to Robertson's junior scouting reports. You'll see it all over about his threatening release and quick shot. Uh, And it's true. We don't have a big enough sample on Jason Robertson yet to fully anoint him logically and mathematically as being a, a legitimate shooting threat and to keep up what he's been doing in 82 games, 82 career games for Jason Robertson. Doesn't it feel like he's been around longer just because of how many goals he's scored? But in 82 games, uh, he's only played 82 games. That's a small sample. He's only taken 205 shots. In that sample, he has a 15% shooting percentage. Again, that's not enough of a sample. Usually we want about three seasons worth of play, maybe six or 700 shots to be able to buy in on a player with a high degree of certainty. But I'm giving a pass to Jason Robertson based on what I've seen. I assume he's just going to keep doing what he's been doing for the first 82 games of his career. Uh, you know, if you're wondering where he's going to go in your drafts next year, second rounder, I, I don't think his name value is there yet that you're going to have to get him in the second round, but could be worth it. Certainly worth a third or fourth round pick. And I could see Jason Robertson eventually entering that Kyle Connor, Jake Gensel kind of level even sooner rather than later and being drafted around where they get drafted in your fantasy drafts. I'm curious to see where Dallas goes in the future because they're sort of building around uh, Robertson and Hintz and like is their their future and leaving guys like Sagan who we'll talk about a little later in the past. And I don't know what that means for how competitive the team will be, but it doesn't matter so long as Robertson and Hintz are going together. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Jason Robertson, and I think he can keep this up. Okay, when you were saying, just out of curiosity, when you were saying that, like, usually we'd want, like, three years of data to, like, buy in. You're saying, like, specifically to buy in on someone with a high shooting percentage. Like, it's like, there's basic shooting percentages that you could assume someone will be able to keep up. But when you see someone shooting at a high rate, it's it's more rare. But there's some players who are capable of doing it, but you want to see a little more to make sure it's not just an anomaly. That's kind of what you're saying? Yeah, sure. That's part of it. I mean, I want to see, uh, for any player to establish their own baseline, I want to see them play for a while. But you're right. Robertson's shooting percentage is above average and when it's above average yeah you assume it's going to regress to the mean unless you have reason to believe otherwise which could be a really huge sample or it could just be what i'm saying right now about jason robertson that i I think he's for real so yeah that's a good point uh shooting percentage is higher than average and not every shooter can keep it there but i am banking on robertson being one of those guys who can yeah, man, what a steal for Dallas. They got him in the, like, second round, I think, of 2017, 39th overall. 
It's looking like maybe one of the best picks of that draft now. Okay, so let's next go to the cold streak in this band. Uh, it's a guy who played today, and I wrote this before today's game, as you may notice. It's Elias Pettersson, 87% rostered. I'll tell you what I wrote before today's game, and it's that it's sad to see him, first of all, falling below 90%. I definitely didn't expect that going into the year, but it's completely warranted because EP40 has gone pointless in his last four games going into today. Just one shot in three of those four games and two in the other, so it had been a very cold stretch for Pedersen. We were having a lot of questions on our Discord about the guy. Uh, Missing Mac started a thread asking about Pedersen versus Kadri for the rest of the season. The response was overwhelmingly uh, just go for Kadri. Uh, But of course, then let's look at what happened today. Vancouver played Washington. Like I said, I was in this matchup in the couple against Kyle, and I was up by a decent amount. I just needed his Pedersen and Quinn Hughes to not go too nuts. And then lo and behold, the game started in the second period. Elias Pedersen scored two quick goals making me very nervous about my matchup and about this segment on the show because now i guess technically he's not really on a cold streak anymore but also it's just one game against the capitals and it was a back-to-back so who knows brian what were you thinking about elias Pettersson moving forward because it's been a very disappointing year but at the same time i don't know there's a new coach and he had a good game today i don't know how much to read into that you know a, a couple years ago i got my cto of my company to go pick up an elias Pettersson young guns hockey card for me in guelph and then he told me afterwards that the guy who he had to meet up with that you know i had found on kijiji like told him to meet like by this dumpster and it was like super sketchy and i was like don't worry it's worth it elias Pettersson's awesome this card's gonna be worth a lot of money and i was starting to think oh man i maybe risked the risked paul's life for a player who's like cold and maybe not even gonna be worth it uh so these two goals today at least help with uh, that value hopefully Elon, if, if you're impatient, I'm going to take that Young Guns card. I'm happy to take it off your hands. If you don't want it, I will meet you at a dumpster in Guelph. Even I'll meet your CTO. I'll meet anyone at a dumpster in Guelph to go pick that up. I mean, it's been a bad year for Pedersen, not the kind you can fully describe with numbers either. We've talked on the show this season about, you know, the contract situation leading into the year, and maybe that was a distraction or off-putting. There's The whole team has been in turmoil in Vancouver, and right now Pedersen has to get through what might be the worst stretch of hockey he's played in his life. Like, how, how often do you think Elias Pedersen has felt like this much of a failure as a hockey player? Probably never. That's a lot to work through. And so my hunch before the when I was researching the show before I knew about the Vancouver Washington result from today my hunch was that the Olympic break would be a really good time for Pedersen to reset and uh, maybe he doesn't even need to wait that long I mean I'm not gonna go full full out on saying Pedersen's back yet but I still think Pedersen is the player we thought he was we're just gonna have to wait to see how long it takes for him to become it Again, I think it's great that Bruce Boudreaux's in the picture. I think he might be a good guy to to have around helping Pedersen get right. I was reading some quotes about what Boudreaux was saying about and to Elias Pedersen that seemed very encouraging. Uh, Pedersen's young. What is he, 21 years old? He's still newish to the league. He has a lot to learn. And I think this is just a, it's going to take some time to get back to where he was before this, but I have no doubt that he's going to get back there. So if you're trying to figure out for fantasy purposes what to do with Pedersen, again, I would be looking at the Olympic break as a time for him to like have a mini off season and come back fresh uh, in, you know, towards the end of February. And that's, uh, that's what I would sort of be looking for. If you're looking to buy low, do it at your own risk, but I wouldn't be shy if you needed to take a swing. 
Yeah, I mean, on the other hand, if you have him and you've been struggling with him and now he just had this good game, maybe now's a good time to try to sell. Maybe you could get that Kadri. Probably not. Kadri's been so insanely good. But uh, you, you have to figure it out. So, uh, like, is this like a David Pasternak from a couple weeks ago kind of call where you're saying, like, no doubt about it? Or you're saying, like, you just have faith in him, but it's, like, for sure not a guarantee? Uh, no, it's the second one. I don't, I think there's still some doubt. Like, I, I don't think there's any doubt again that Pedersen is going to be the player we thought he would be coming into the season. I just don't know if that's going to happen this season or if we're going to have to wait for the next season for him to get back up to full speed. Pasternak was like, it's all going to happen. Don't worry, Pedersen. It's going to happen. I just, I, I don't know how much time it's going to take because there's, there's really are a lot of intangibles here. Yeah. Plus, it's always nice that, you know, Pedersen, while he plays on a bit of a dumpster fire team, at least sometimes, uh, I guess not today, they had the win. But yeah, Boston's a really good spot. So you assume that it's going to be easier for someone like Pasternak to be able to bounce back while Vancouver is like shifting around the lines trying to find something that works. Okay, let's go next to the 80 to 85% rostered band. We're burning through this. We're already 20% down. Or no, we're 15% down. Now we'll be 20% down. Uh, Sam Bennett, okay? He's the hot streak I want to bring up. He's only 85% rostered. And he's been living up, I think, to all the hype going into the season, especially lately. Like, everyone was, like, really excited about Bennett, obviously, after he got traded to the Panthers and was so great at the end of last season. And this Panthers team that has scored 21 goals over their last three games, just wiping the floor with their competition. Bennett's been in on quite a lot of it. He's been centering the second line with Huberdeau and Duclair on the wings. And Bennett's also been playing on the top power play. And he had four goals and two assists over these last couple of games. That brings him to nine points in his last five games. He's actually only pacing for 65 points on the season. So he did have that cold stretch earlier on, which would have been a really good time to maybe try to buy him because right now that 65 point pace is climbing quickly. And that's along with his huge peripheral contributions, right? Both shots on goals and hits are really great for Sam Bennett and give him that extra value in multi-category leagues. Brian, this is my hunch. My hunch is that Sam Bennett will keep going like up rest of season. I don't think he's going to be staying at the 65 point pace. I think he's going to be crossing the 70-point pace, maybe even get to 75. I guess I'd have to do the math, like how good he'd have to do to get to an overall 75-point pace. But I just feel like, how can you not, if you're like playing on a line with Jonathan Huberdeau and, you know, just, and with Florida just being as insanely good as they are, it's really hard to not imagine Bennett being able to keep up this recent production to some effect. Anyways, I'm curious to know, Brian, what pace are you expecting rest of season for Sam Bennett? Is this recent run at least somewhat sustainable to you? Yes, it is. I mean, like the whole picture is sustainable for Sam Bennett. By the way, shout out to Anthony Duclair, who is shooting 20%, which means I think there are extra assists for Huberdeau and Bennett to get in on. Although Bennett has just eight assists to go with his 15 goals. So I actually see room to grow there. And if you look at Bennett's points participation rates, he's at just 47% at five on five. You could probably count on him being involved in about 20 to 25% more of the goals being scored while he's on the ice. So you have that to help Bennett out and and put more wind in Bennett's sails for what he's doing now. And I don't see any reason to disbelieve what Sam Bennett is doing. And I think that there is his ticket to 70 points. I'm going to buy in on that. No problem. I could even see Bennett heading up towards a 75 point pace. And I'm really just not sure you can put a ceiling on Sam Bennett since we're essentially watching this former fourth overall pick be reborn in a role perfectly suited to him when he is in the prime of his career, right? He's about 25 years old. By the way, fact check. Thanks to Shane in the chat for checking me, uh, for saying Pedersen is 21. Pedersen is 23. But Bennett is 25, and he's got a lot of good hockey ahead of him if he gets to stay where he is. And I don't see why he wouldn't. So yeah, I'm really excited about what we're seeing from Sam Bennett. And like I said, I'm not disbelieving it one bit. 
Okay, yeah, I remember when we did our tier one auction live draft show and uh, John Newhold had drafted Sam Bennett and then he was going on about how excited he was about him and I was like, kind of annoyed because I wanted Sam Bennett but I got outbid and then like the next bid I got Ryan O'Reilly and then I was being like, you know, a little petulant like, well, why aren't you talking about how great my Ryan O'Reilly pick is? And then like now I'm thinking like, man, no, I really blew it. I really should have saved some money to get Sam Bennett. I would, uh, John, if you're listening, if you want to trade O'Reilly for Bennett, I'll, uh, I'll accept that and I'll even throw in a sweetener for you. Okay, so the cold streak for this 80 to 85 percent range i'm going to cheat a little bit here but i think it's okay because i'm going to go to someone a little higher i'm going to go to 86 percent just because you know i had to use Pedersen in that range but i have another player on a cold streak right around here and that's neil pionk who's 86 percent rostered on yahoo what's going on with him over winnipeg we already talked about ehlers but i have another player at least one that's on the top power play but you know equally cold lately he's been a solid 50-ish point defenseman since joining the jets and started this season even hotter than that he had 16 points in his first 24 games which would have like continued on to be like a 55 point pace but it didn't continue on lately he's gone cold only one point in his last seven games brian do you see any reason under the hood for pionk managers to be worried or like i guess i will say the positive that i you know to preempt your answer i'll say the positive to me is potentially like blenwis oh i don't know do, do, have we ever said blenwis out loud or is that just our private name for them i think this is our private name for okay them. now it's Who public are you so, talking about ben and lewis from short shifts said recently on a show they were talking about how the jets are about to get healthy uh you know they were talking about dubois and saying that they expect him to bounce back a little bit like wheeler's even starting to skate so they're going to be at full strength soon so that's got to be good for peon is that enough reason to think that he can get back going like he did at the start of the year yeah, I don't see why not. I'm not concerned about Pionk, even like without any of that extra context. He's still shooting, he's still playing minutes, still on the top power play unit. I'm not seeing any reason to be worried at all about Pionk. And I say that as someone who rosters him in the cupful, KKUPFL, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Uh, so I'm experiencing Pionk's production outage firsthand. He's just cold. All right. There's no reason I can see to think he's not going to be okay. So this is just a hang in there kind of moment. Okay, so we've still got uh, 75% to 80%, and then all the other <laughs> bands, which is quite a few of them, I guess we're like uh, 20% on the show now, if we want to keep the math going. And we're going to get to all of that, so that's like 100 players left to discuss. We'll get to them in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back, and we've got no more ad breaks for the rest of the show, Brian. So let's go to this 75% to 80% range on Yahoo. The hot streak I want to talk about here is Matt Duchesne, 79% rostered. I feel like all of these hot streaks, I'm just going to be like, why aren't these people rostered in more leagues? But Duchesne, for sure, right? Like, maybe some people wondered if, you know, he started this season, like, so hot. It's like this, after being such a nobody for the last couple of years, he was just going off. And then he had this, like, upper body injury, and maybe you would have thought, oh, that's probably going to derail it. Like, you know, he was he was just like running hot and there's no way he'll be able to keep that up now that he's, you know, has to sit back and watch games, lose whatever mojo he had. But that hasn't been the case. Anyways, he's returned and he's put up nine points in his last eight games, bringing him now to 34 points in 35 games on this season. Brian, do you think this point per game pace for Matt Duchesne is looking sustainable for the rest of the season? Well, first off, happy birthday, Matt Duchesne. The day of recording, January 16th, is his birthday. So way to go, Matt Duchesne. What a happy birthday for him, too, and anybody who's rostering Matt Duchesne in fantasy. The funny thing, well, it's not funny. It's just, it's not even surprising, actually, about Matt Duchesne, is that he's producing at five on five exactly at the same rate as he did in his first year as a Nashville Predator when he was not very impressive on the whole. But there's two differences between this current year 
and that other year where he was producing the same at five on five. The first is that Duchesne is seeing more time at five on five. So he's seeing another 90 seconds a night at five on five, which means uh, if he's producing points at the same rate per 60 minutes, well, there's more minutes. So he's producing more points. The second difference is that Matt Duchesne uh, is on a power play in Nashville that is clicking at 27% versus what was a broken Nashville power play, uh, converting onto 17% of their chances. And oh yeah, Duchesne is also on a top power play unit instead of seeing just a 50% share of the team's power play minutes. And now Duchesne is also scoring on nearly 30% of his power play shots. That's helped bring Duchesne to eight power play goals, which is just too shy of his career high, which he set as a rookie in 81 games back in 2008, 2009. Matt Duchesne's been around a long time. Uh, And as a team, Nashville is scoring on 20% of their power play shots with Duchesne on the ice. So those percentages may not hold. And that's why maybe Matt Duchesne is not a point per game guy, but he's not far from a point per game. And it's crazy for Duchesne to be talked about at this point in the show. Like he should be rostered in every format. I know it takes a while to shake the sting off the name of a guy who's been such a letdown for so long, but Duchesne has earned your respect and his legit fantasy relevance. Okay, way to go, Matt. Happy birthday. Uh, now a cold streak in the same rostered band. Uh, unlike Duchesne, Patrick Laine has not been able to keep up with what he was doing to start the season since coming back from his injury. Laine now at 76% rostered. Uh, he did have that big one-goal, seven-shot game back on December 30th, his first game since returning. Uh, but since then, only one goal and one assist in his most recent seven games. Uh, Lewis on the latest short shifts called out Gustav Nyquist as someone who's producing on Columbus. It might be someone good to look at because he's not rostered in many leagues. Imagine how frustrating it must be to have Patrick Laine and just be looking in free agency and seeing Gustav Nyquist getting all of these points. Lewis was spot on. Nyquist had another one goal, one assist game versus Florida on Saturday while Laine did nothing. Nyquist nine points in his last seven. Uh, so Brian, what do you do at this point if you have Patrick Laine? To me, he's really giving off vibes of not being reliable. Like it's been many seasons now where, you know, he goes on these hot stretches and then he disappears. We remember that famous year in Winnipeg where he like had one month where he like broke the record for goals in a month and then after that just did nothing the rest of the year I'd be worried about Patrick Laine right now do you have any reason do you have any silver linings here any just unsustainable numbers or should the Patrick Laine managers be as nervous as I would be if I had him you should be nervous if you have Patrick Laine which is part and parcel of having Patrick Laine right like you mentioned he's uh, he's inconsistent or has been inconsistent lately That is who he's been over the course of really the majority of his career at this point. Patrick Laine also has just 13 shots over the seven-game stretch you've mentioned. Elon, so fewer than two shots per game. That's not a way for a scorer to make his mark on your fantasy team. Laine is most effective when he's shooting somewhere around three shots per game, which he was closer to doing earlier this year. But one reason Laine is not doing that right now, well, just look at his time on ice. In Laine's first 14 games, he played fewer than 17 minutes just one time. But Laine has played fewer than 17 minutes in each of his last three games, including just 15 minutes and 10 seconds on Saturday night against Florida. Now, maybe that was part of the blowout effect, like Bjorkstrand had low minutes then too. But it's really frustrating to see Laine not be a guy that gets regular, consistent deployment. And it is sadly characteristic of how we've seen things go with Patrick Laine over his career. You know, we have to be worried again that Liney's in the doghouse and he hasn't had 
historical success at working his way out of the doghouse. Uh, his shot rates at five on five aren't where I'd like to see them. So even accounting for less ice time, he's still not shooting as much as I'd want Patrick Liney to shoot. And another frustration is that in 15 games, Patrick Liney has just 14 shots on the power play and no goals. Uh, so yeah, this is all disappointing. But somehow, after all of that sadness, Patrick Line is still pacing for 63 points. So not all is lost, but maybe he's a, you know, more of an under 60 than over 60 player. And there's no sign of breakout imminent from Patrick Line, aside from what we all know is there, that game changing goal score lurking somewhere in him, but it is only lurking for the time being. Yeah, I guess it comes down to you're not seeing anything good in his recent numbers. And obviously, this ice time is super concerning. I guess we were saying Elias Pettersson is like concerning with his numbers, but you just had this like underlying faith that like, no, he's Elias Pettersson. He'll be able to get through this. And clearly, you don't have this about Patrick Line. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes you have to just play with your gut, right? We don't know, obviously, what's going to happen, but I, I'm with you here on these two guys. Uh, let's go now to the 70 to 75% rostered band. And we have a player, 73% rostered. That is. A point-per-game player on the season. So I don't know who these people are in these leagues where a player that's a point-per-game isn't worth rostering. But, man, Tyler Bertuzzi is hot, hot, hot. He had a goal and two assists versus Buffalo on Saturday, bringing him to 13 points in his last 10 games and bringing him now to 31 points in 31 games on the season. Brian, this seems to be the breakout year that Tyler Bertuzzi, he hinted at last year, right? He had a really good start, but then he ended up missing the rest of the season with an injury. He came back this year. We were a little concerned at the start. Well, you know, he wasn't going to get vaccinated. And I was thinking, you know, like, oh, man, like, now is he a bust? But anyways, anyone who just decided to whatever draft him anyways is very happy with what they've gotten so far. Do you think that this stretch is sustainable? Maybe not point per game, but like, you know, 70 plus points, like much higher than we would have expected going into the year. Well, a month ago, Elon, I think we'd be asking a very different question if you were doing this rostered ban hot cold thing. A month ago, Bertuzzi would be in the cold category. He had just three points, all assists in 11 games one month ago, but now he's changed the conversation because Bertuzzi has exploded for nine goals in his last 10 games on 27 shots. That brings Bertuzzi to 18 goals in 31 games. He's tied for 13th in the NHL in goals scored. He has a 33% shooting percentage in this streak, 22% on the season. That's probably too high. I mean, his his games played is not that much different than uh, the number of games that Jason Robertson has played, but I'm pretty comfortable saying that Tyler Bertuzzi is not going to keep shooting 22% this year or in general. Like, it's too high. So uh, for that reason, I don't expect the goal scoring to keep up from Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, So I wouldn't have him point per game. I think it's hard to take him lower than 70 points, which still kind of surprises me, Elon. Like, do you, when you think Tyler Bertuzzi, do you think 70 point player? I mean, I think you have to now. Like, I think you can't only think about Tyler Bertuzzi in a vacuum, right? Like, he's playing with Lucas Raymond, who's showing himself to be a huge superstar. He's now got Sider quarterbacking the power play where he's making bank, right? Because he just sits in front of the net just like Chris Kreider. We already talked about Bertuzzi, how he is the type of player that is known to have a higher shooting percentage because he's also taking a lot of shots from the front of the net. So, yeah, it's like he's on the top line. He's on the top power play. Playing with, like, Larkin and Raymond is, like, two pretty amazing players to be playing with. So I don't see why he shouldn't be able to be a seven. 70 point player like I get that that shooting percentage is a little high but uh, yeah I don't I agree with you like I don't think he's like point per game but I also don't think I'd take him lower than 70. Okay so yeah we're agreed we can't see him being a point per game player but we also can't look away from all the amazing production he's given so way to go Tyler Bertuzzi I'm sure you were able to draft him for less than the 70 point player would normally go for. 
You know what, though? I am actually getting notified in the chat here. Shams is letting us know that the lines changed recently in Detroit. In the last game, Bertuzzi was playing on a line with Fabry and Pew Suter, and it was Vladislav Nemesnikov playing with Larkin and Raymond, so I guess it worked. They shut out the Sabres. Uh, Bertuzzi's still on the top power play. But anyways, who knows? Like, hard to speculate. He's been really good. Maybe if he stays on that second line all season, that wouldn't be the best for him. But uh, then also, if it wasn't going well, maybe then the team would change it back. So something to watch. Uh, maybe also watch Nemesnikov if you want a really deep ad. We weren't planning on bringing up Nemesnikov on the show, but obviously I just said how good of a spot it would be to play with Larkin and Raymond, right? Okay. So the cold streak I want to bring up in the 70 to 75% band is John Klingberg, 72% rostered. He had a good start to the year, but he's pointless in his last four games. And he's one of these players where when he's cold, he's like super cold in your multi-category leagues because he doesn't have many peripherals to make up for the fact that he's not getting any points you know some defensemen at least give you some hits and blocks not clingy uh apparently he's also on the trade block that's the recent rumor so brian if you have john klingberg you're frustrated that he's cold are you like hoping that he gets traded or are you like hoping he doesn't get traded because top power play on dallas should be a pretty sweet spot to be in and this is maybe just a blip I well, I guess he's also like one of this old guard that we I was talking about when we were talking about Jason Robertson. I, I'll say uh, similar to Tyler Bertuzzi, this is all about timing. You know, we didn't mention Klingberg when he was hot, and it's too bad we didn't mention him then because we've mentioned Klingberg several times this year when he's been cold. And honestly, as you mentioned, with you know, no peripherals to go by when Klingberg's not scoring, he's just kind of a ho hum fantasy player. I, I think where Klingberg is losing his points is on the power play, where he's only pacing for 19 power play points, which isn't bad. But Klingberg's five-on-five production has never been great. And it's still the case this year that Klingberg is not doing well at five-on-five. The years Klingberg has been really good, he's paced for like 25, 30 power play points. That's not happening this year. And his ice time is down a bit too. You know, there's a a very thin line somehow between 55 and 45-point Klingberg. And that's unfortunate. He's a tough guy to have that way. No peripherals to help you in the meantime. And uh, earlier in the season, I preached patience for Klingberg, but he continues to not be able to convert on the power play. And now with his ice time dwindling, although he's still on the top unit, I am growing a little concerned and a little less interested in holding this guy all season at all costs. So you're hoping then that he gets traded? Like, I'm, I'm curious, because that's a probably yeah. people might be thinking, I know you're the type of person that you don't necessarily like to think about the future, but it's like, apparently, th- this is the hot goss, Brian, I'm just trying to share it here, that everyone's talking about how Klingberg's on the trade block, and he might be moved imminently. So is it like, are you, ho- I'm just curious, if you have him, even if you're a little concerned, and you brought up reasons to be concerned, do you hold because you hope he gets traded? I, I just feel like he's already in a good spot, you know, like, he'd have to land yeah. in a better spot. <laughs> I agree. I like he's all he's quarterbacking a top power play unit on a team that has pretty solid offense. And so I'm not uh, I'm not getting so excited. Maybe there's a team where things work better for John Klingberg, but I think it's more likely that he's just going to be about the same player as he has been in Dallas, which is yeah. like it's it's great when he's when he can hit that 55 point mark, but when he's not doing it, he's a really painful guy to hold on to. Yeah, I heard a rumor about Carolina, I believe, which would be interesting, right? Because then it, does he bump Tony D'Angelo? But obviously, we'll talk about that if and when it happens. Okay, let's go to the 65 to 70% rostered band. If I already surprised you by saying that there was a point-per-game player in the 70 to 75% range, then it should be even more surprising that we also have one here 5% lower at 66% rostered, Anthony Duclair. Of course, we were going to have to cover a lot of Panthers on this episode, and we've already talked about Bennett and Huberdo, so let's finish off that line with Duclair. Two goals in three assists in these last couple of games. That brings him to 30 points in 30 games on the season. 
season. Just what a year for him. Uh, the Ottawa Senators, you know, could have had him for cheap, gave him away for nothing. And uh, now, I guess, I don't know. I'd, I'd imagine that they probably are regretting it. But yeah, Brian, so uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, point per game. Anthony Duclair, point per game. Which player do you expect to uh, keep it up or be more likely to keep it up rest of the way? I think Bertuzzi, and I've already tipped my hand to this, I think Bertuzzi's run is more sustainable. Duclair, I mentioned earlier, shooting 20% at 5-on-5. Duclair has 16 goals, coming from 25% shooting in all situations. Amazing stat line, by the way. 16 goals and 14 assists for 30 points. Uh, But usually, if a player like Duclair is suddenly scoring a whole lot more goals, you're like, oh, is he seeing more shots? No, Duclair is not taking more shots. Is he seeing more ice time? No, Duclair is not seeing more ice time. Duclair is just a guy on a heater. Uh, And that's great. Uh, That's amazing. Way to go, Anthony Duclair, for doing that. Also, Duclair's line, they're scoring nearly five and a half goals per hour at five on five. And I know if you're not looking at these numbers all the time, that might not mean much to you. Two and a half goals per 60 is like average for like a second line three goals per 60 minutes is good three and a half goals per 60 minutes is like a powerful line five and a half goals per 60 minutes is just wild I love to see the success that line is having I love to see Duclair doing as well as he is but on 65 shots Duclair has 16 goals and it's much more likely, if you were to simulate this 10,000 times, that Declare would have eight goals more often, much more often, than he'd have 16 goals on 65 shots, which means that I would take Declare down to like a 60-point pace if he wasn't on this magical, crazy, amazing line. I think maybe I could bump him up to a 65-point pace the rest of the season, but I don't see the goal scoring holding the rest of the season. Yeah, plus Bertuzzi's on the top power play and Duclair isn't, though I guess you could also say that uh, Duclair is playing with much better players. So I think I'll agree with you, though. I'll take Bertuzzi higher, but I got Duclair actually as a free agent in both of my serious Yahoo leagues. So it's been he's been one of the FA ads of the year for me and yeah, anyone who got and, him. Yeah, unfortunately, I did the same. I, I had Duclair and I dropped him because there was a, a week where he had a bad schedule. He wouldn't have fit into my lineup and I've been kicking myself ever since. Oh, you know what? I've actually had a new idea about fantasy that I've been trying out lately. Uh, I've been, like, less focusing on the schedule, just a little bit. Like, I still do it a lot, but, like, for stream, like, like for example, next week, there's a bunch of teams, we're going to get to them later on in the show. There's a few teams that play Monday, Tuesday. So, like, the inclination has always been, grab a guy from LA or Montreal, you know, someone that's playing two games. But I've started to think, like, maybe you let everyone else rush and fall over themselves to grab those guys and just try to take the best player available, even if they're only playing one game. Sure. It depends, obviously, how bad that Duclair schedule was for you, but I feel like it's it's worked out for me more often when I've just gone with the player I liked. Like, I remember yeah. Jesper Bratt was someone who I added, even though he wasn't going to give me extra games the following week. It was like, you know, my last move on a Sunday, right when his hot streak had started. And, you know, I just thought, I just want Bratt because I think he's really good. And now, obviously, I'm happy I did that and didn't take whatever streamer that would have given me two extra games that week. It's good advice. Like, you can't make the schedule the be-all, end-all. Just to be clear, for me, I was not making the schedule be-all, end-all. I was looking at Duclair having scored on a crazy percentage of the shots he had just taken. And also, at that point, he wasn't solidified in the top six either so you know seeing an unsustainable duclair maybe getting bumped from deployment and with a bad schedule that was three strikes for him but uh, he stayed where he has been uh, the schedule whatever and uh, his he's sustained the unsustainable so I, i really i lost on that one i blew it yeah i feel sad 
I mean, I didn't mean to make that a dig. Like, I didn't mean to say, like, oh, don't be like Brian. I, like, I, I would probably maybe also have done that. It's just, like, an idea to throw out there. Because I know, like, the stream scheme that Dave releases and is a really useful show. And streaming is important to get those extra games. But, yeah, you always have to still keep in mind that maybe some players are, wor- you know, above streamer territory in both the add and drop situation. Okay, so uh, the cold streak for the 65 to 70% range. A player who is 1% more rostered than Anthony Duclair, which makes no sense to me, finally dropped in couple Tier 1 a couple days ago he was rostered all season but now he is available for me and i'm gonna tell you brian i have no interest in tyler sagan so we're going back to dallas quickly he is pointless in five games couldn't even get on top power play when when robertson was injured like i told you i even forget the name of the guy who what damiani or something got the spot ahead of tyler sagan so this guy's a total snoozer like I assume that this cold streak is sustainable. I'm sure you're going to say it's because of the deployment and free Tyler Sagan or something, but I don't, I don't care. Either way, it's like, this guy's useless to me unless he's, you know, something significant changes in his deployment. If he gets traded, obviously, then we could reassess. Exactly. We've definitely established that Tyler Sagan is a snoozer. He is he's snooze until further notice. He is actually occupying the space that Matt Duchesne used to as being someone who we believed in long enough and he didn't deliver, that he's just forgotten now. And now Sagan's name is tarnished. It's going to take time to rebuild trust. And to be honest, with it's not just that he's not doing well. Like every offensive indicator is in a continuing pattern of decline over the last few years for Tyler Sagan, who turns 30 in a couple weeks. Uh, so this is technically his age 30 season because he's 29 now, but it'll be 30 by February 1st, which is what I use. Um, and he's got five more years on his contract with a no movement clause at $10 million a season. I can't imagine Sagan or Dallas is happy with the situation. And I think he's part of the old guard there from a group that never got over the hump to regularly and seriously contend in Dallas. I would love, like you're talking about Klingberg. Would I be excited if Klingberg got traded? No. But if Sagan was traded somehow, I would love that. Sure. Yeah, maybe if he gets traded, I'll add him out of free agency. But he's definitely not someone I'm holding, hoping that'll happen. Yeah. But like, yeah, the question is, like, is he actually still really good? And he's just like the old no. guard. And like, I mean, maybe not. Right. So I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be falling over myself to well, to grab him if he was traded even. I mean, Dallas might just be the wrong place for him. Like, sure, yeah, he, yeah. He, like things just aren't going well there. I'm not like the the pattern of decline we're seeing from him. It's too soon. Like, I would have expected to see this in three to five years. And, like, maybe there's been some injuries that have hampered his ability to, to be as good as he's been. But to me, it doesn't look like a player who should be declining because of age the way he is right now. So I would like to see him get a fresh start on a team that's willing to use him a little differently, give him a different assignment. And I, I have some level of confidence that his numbers would perk up. Like, if he was traded tomorrow, I might uh, I might go grab him out of free agency. Hey, imagine if the Bruins try to get him back now to fix a, a big mistake that they made all those years ago. Let's say Craig Smith for Tyler Sagan. Sagan jumps up with Marshawn and Bergeron. Yeah, then I'd, I'd be interested in uh, taking Tyler Sagan. Uh, okay, so let's go to the 60 to 65% band. And the hot player I'm going to bring up is a guy I just had to because I brought him up last week. And now I want to see if you've updated your opinion. And that's Cam Atkinson. Uh, last week we talked about him. You kind of, I don't, like, you know, I, I'll summarize, but then you can correct me if I'm saying it wrong. I feel like what you basically said was yeah he's hot but you know he's never really done this before and like aside from that one year with Panarin and now he's not playing with Panarin so you just didn't expect that he'd be able to keep it up so for what it's worth another two games now 
Another two points, four shots in each of those games last week versus the Rangers in Boston. You know me, Brian. I'm just a sucker for shots. And I'm looking at Cam Atkinson. He's got now three goals, five assists, and 29 shots over his last six games. He's shooting the lights out. Plus, he's on the top line and the top power play. He's getting all the primo deployment to like over 20 minutes a game. So, I don't know. To me, it seems like this guy is like for real and not someone I'd be too concerned about. But, you know, once again, feel free to just be like, Elon, listen back to the last show. My opinion hasn't changed. It really hasn't. Like, it's really nice that Atkinson just continued the run. But I went to look at his game-by-game fancy stats, quote-unquote. He's been on the ice for eight goals during the stretch you're talking about, Elon. He uh, has participated on all eight of those goals. So he has eight points on the eight on-ice goals scored. That's 100% points participation. That's about 30% more than we'd expect to see from Cam Atkinson. And... Also, those eight goals, that's a lot of goals for Atkinson to have been on the ice for because the Flyers are shooting at a 14% conversion rate while Atkinson is on the ice. So the Flyers are scoring more than they should normally when Atkinson's on the ice and Atkinson is getting in on more of those goals than he should normally. So good job. Great stuff, Cam Atkinson. But these are not, these are indicators like, like flashing. These are not numbers we ever see sustained. We never see a team sustain a 14% on a shooting percentage or or a player sustain a 100% points participation rate for very long. Keep in mind, like, I know you're super excited and you're saying, how about the last two games? Atkinson has two more points. You know, before this run, Cam Atkinson had 13 points in 31 games. He Now he's on a 60-point pace total, and I, I think it's a successful season for Cam Atkinson if he can maintain that 60-point pace the rest of the season, which is cool. I'm not – I feel like the way – you've like we're framing this i feel like i've been pushed into a position where i have to say like oh man forget cam like i'm gonna be looked at as a guy who doesn't like cam atkinson i've always tried to boost cam atkinson when i see good things happening and this is really exciting elon but when you asked me last week is this a return to that one thing he did one time with the world's when the world's greatest hockey players no i still don't think it is but ask me again next week when he has two more points and two more games yeah, well, I guess I might have to if that happens, uh, like especially if he takes all those shots. And yeah, you're saying that, yeah, over these eight goals, you know, he's been on the ice for 100% of them. So that's probably not going to sustain. No, he's gotten a point on 100% of them. Yeah, that's what I mean. His IPP is 100%. So yeah, bring him down to only six points in those six games. And maybe that's more reasonable. That's still point per game, right? So yeah, he has but, room to fall. <laughs> yeah, but there shouldn't have been eight goals scored. Maybe there should have only been six goals scored. All right, so five goals in his last six games is a pace that we can expect moving forward. Okay, anyways, I'm just saying I like the shots, okay? Like, even when he was playing with Panarin, I don't think he was shooting like this. I like the shots, too. We can agree on that. Shots, shots, shots. Okay, let's have shots after the show. So let's go to the cold streak now in this range of 60 to 65%. And this is a guy at 63% rostered in Sam Girard on Colorado. Colorado scored nine goals over their last couple of games. They're kind of like the Panthers. Well, the Panthers only need one game to score nine goals. But still, Colorado's scoring a lot. And in those last couple of games where Colorado scored nine goals, zero points for Sam Girard, even though he plays big minutes. So super disappointing. I always hate that, right? When I'm rostering a player, and like if I'm not watching the game live, and I look afterwards and see, oh man, the team scored nine. I can't wait to see how many points Gerard got. A big old goose egg. Only two goals and eight assists in his last 23 games now. He's also like Klingberg, like not a big Perifs guy. So he's not helping you when he's not getting points. So Brian, do you have any explanation for him being 63% rostered on Yahoo? Like I feel like if he was dropped in my tier one couple division, I don't think I'd be making a claim on him. 
just name value, I think, to think that you have the top pairing defenseman or someone who eats a lot of minutes in Colorado and Sam Girard. Uh, that seems appealing because they score a lot of goals. And yeah, the Colorado defense takes turns picking up points on all the goals Colorado scores. Elon, I also wonder, because Kale McCarr was injured earlier in the season when I think more managers were active. And so everybody rushed to go add Sam Girard. And I wonder if his number is still a little inflated because people were active then. And not active by the time right, uh, Makar yeah. was back and Gerard cooled off. But anyway, like I said, it's great to be a, a defenseman on Colorado. Eric Johnson had a turn recently picking up a bunch of points. Bowen Byram's done it. Uh, Sam Gerard has done it. And I'm sure he'll do it again sometime. But I don't think I- I'm with you, Elon. I don't think Sam Gerard is a must hold when nothing's doing for him. Right. So this cold streak, pretty sustainable, unfortunately, but obviously a valuable real life player, but just not someone you could expect a ton of points from last year. He had that really good run for a long time. But yeah, and he can have another really good run too. Uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, it, it's hard. I don't want to say this is not a cold streak because it's what we expect from Sam Girard. I expect more than two points every five games from him or three, you know, four points every 10, however you want to cut it. But I think 45, 50 points is probably the reasonable zone of expectation for Sam Girard. So yeah, this isn't technically cold. Like it's not so cold. It's a little cold. And uh, I'd like him to get in on a few more goals than he has been lately. Okay, let's go now to the 55 to 60% range. And we're going back to Winnipeg again. I didn't realize I was going to make the show so Winnipeg heavy, but a hot streak player with that's only 55% rostered on Yahoo is Andrew Kopp, who had two goals versus Detroit on Thursday. That brought him to four points in four games in January. And you know me, Brian, I'm going to bring it up the shots, man. 18 shots over these last four games for Andrew Kopp. He's been getting top power play because of some of these injuries. So, and you know, like Ehlers on the COVID protocol. So maybe he loses that. But overall, Kopp is now pacing for 58 points on the season. That matches last year's pace. And I feel like the conversation last year was like, because that was a career year for him, right? And I was like, do you think he can do this again? I don't really recall where we landed so if you have a better memory than me you can let me know but at this point he's doing it again this 58 point pace on the season do you think this is like the real andrew cop and he's like a 60 point guy moving forward yes i do i looked at everything and i do think that what we're seeing is just about right for andrew cop just keep expecting what you've been seeing and i think you'll be happy Wow. So that basically means that Cop and Nikolai Ehlers are like pretty similar in fantasy, which is pretty wild because you definitely had to pay a lot higher of a draft pick to get Ehlers over Cop. Yeah. Like, I, you know, Ehlers has, of course, much greater upside than Cop. And I, I said Ehlers could be a 70 point guy uh, with the, all the extra shots he's taking. But yeah, and and Cop's ceiling doesn't feel much higher than 60 points. So there's that difference. But you're right, uh, for 10 points, and with all the shots Cop is taking, that's a great value from him compared to Nick Ehlers. Yeah, I remember in our like keeper league that we're in together, I added him as a free agent after the draft. But that was in that stretch of time before the season started where there was unlimited ad drops because the four ads per week only started in like the first week. And I was like too impatient to like actually hold him. Like I added him and then dropped him and added someone else who like I saw was getting top line in practice or something. That was definitely a mistake. Should have just held on to cop. Okay, so the cold streak in this band, 55 to 60%. Uh, Let's go to a question on our Discord from Joel, who's also here in the chat. Uh, And he asked Brian, are you seeing anything to suggest that Oliver Bjorkstrand could be more than a 60 to 65 point player? Uh, so I'm taking a look at what Bjorkstrand did, and he's 56% rostered, by the way, so that's why he falls into this category. He had that two-goal game last week versus New Jersey. Aside from that game, I'm seeing just one assist in his other last seven games for Bjorkstrand. So now he's sitting at 26 points in 34 games. That's a 63-point pace. 
right around where he's been for the last couple of seasons. So are we just going to say at this point, this is sustainable? Like he's a 60-ish point player, just like Joel's asking, or do you still think there's upside for more? I still think there's upside for more from Oliver Bjorkstrand. And I I understand for anyone losing patience, because we've been saying this since before Bjorkstrand had really broken out. And I'm not just sticking to it now because, you know, he's our guy and we've been boosting him from the start. No, I think Bjorkstrand still has more to give, and I'll explain why. But first, let's at least celebrate that Bjorkstrand has a weird stretch uh, is behind him where he wasn't shooting at all. Bjorkstrand is now averaging almost three shots per game over the last nine. So glad that's over with, whatever it was, which was still never actually explained, frustratingly. Uh, but the reason I still think Bjorkstrand has that 70-plus point upside is because he's seen more power play time than he has in past seasons. Uh, he's been a 60-65 point guy with worse deployment, and I know he hasn't broken through that 70-point barrier this year with that extra power play time, but I think there's some variance working against him, and that's the reason why. So I, I think uh, that that's really the short answer. And the long answer, too, I think Bjorkstrand has better deployment, and that's why I think he can break 70. And he's taking advantage of that extra power play time, but unfortunately, seeing that dip in variance at 5-on-5 offsetting it, nothing he's doing wrong, just what we'd call bad bounces or bad luck. I still really like Oliver Bjorkstrand, and I encourage you to stay patient, even though I know it's hard when it feels like we've been waiting two or three years for this guy to really bust through. Okay. Or on the other hand, you can say, uh, go try to get him if he's been dropped to free agency in your shallow leagues or if his fantasy managers want to give him up. Uh, we have a, right around the same percent rostered, Andrew Cop. Let's say you have Cop. Do you ship him off for Bjorkstrand or just hold on to reliable 60 point Cop? I would definitely go with Bjorkstrand because okay. I don't think Bjorkstrand falls much lower than where Andrew Cop is right now, even when things aren't going well. Okay, there you go. There's uh, some advice for people who have cop on their team if they want to try to sell on the guy. Uh, let's go now to the bottom 50% rosters. Now we're getting to the point where potentially, at least in shallow leagues for these next few, these are players that would be a steal, I think, if you can get them. Or I guess Brian will help determine if their hot streaks are sustainable or fleeting. This one, I know it's sustainable. Like I guess we could just talk about how high it is. I can't believe that Matt Zuccarello is only 50% rostered on Yahoo. So he's right at the tip of that 45 to 50% range. He had two goals and an assist versus Anaheim on Friday in Minnesota's only game of the week. So anyone who held him through that week were thinking, ugh, only one game. That's a bummer. But you basically got three games worth of production, right? You got three points. You can't complain. That's now eight points in Zuccarello's last five games. He now has 30 points in 28 games overall. That's above a point per game for a player roster less than 50% of leagues come on uh, we brought him up like a month ago and I believe we just said he'll likely be able to keep this up while he's with Kaprizov on line one and power play one and he has been on that line and he has kept this up so I don't know if we have anything new to say but uh, I just like what does this guy need to do to get rostered in more leagues I have no idea but uh, I think it's just hard for people to come to grips with the fact that Zuccarello is a near point per game guy but I really think he is I don't see why he would slow down as long as he holds his deployment and I don't see why that would happen I think that's it. You're asking what would this guy, what would Matt Zuccarello have to do to be more rostered? I think he needs to change his name to Marco Rossi. And then his his rostered percentage would just jump through the roof. Nobody believes that Matt Zuccarello is going to keep this up. And by the way, we were lamenting last week how bad it would be for so many players, including Zuccarello. If Kaprizov was out, he came back Friday. So hooray for that and hooray for Matt Zuccarello, who, by the way, Elon, you're going to love this. He's also shooting more than he ever has since joining Minnesota a couple seasons ago. I find point-per-game Zuccarello myself 
still hard to believe, but I, I can't tell you with numbers why it won't last. Zuccarello was on a 70-point pace last year in, uh, you know, he didn't play the full season and the full season was shorter than usual, uh, but he played really well with Kaprizov then. He's on a 90-point pace with Kaprizov right now. Uh, so I feel like Zuccarello could easily land somewhere in the middle between that 70-point and 90-point pace that we've seen recently. It feels crazy to be saying this. I'm going to acknowledge for anyone who's looking at Matt Zuccarello and thinking 80 points, pfft, uh, I think it's time to take away that last sound that I made with my mouth and just be like, Zuccarello, 80 points. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's also crazy. Like, he's making $6 million per year. I remember he signed that deal five years, $6 million per. And I believe that deal, like, got Paul Fenton fired, right? Like, it was like, this is the last straw. Or maybe he did something else. But it was like, I remember that people were like, what are you doing wasting all this money on this, like, old player? And I think he had, like, a bad first year with the team. Now it's like... Okay, it's point per game. I guess, you know, justice for this contract, it seems to be well worth it, at least at the moment, unless you want to say that anyone would be able to do this well with Kaprizov, but like, clearly that's not the case, right? He's obviously doing really well. Uh, okay, let's go now to the cold streak that I want to bring up in this 45 to 50% range, and I guess you can't get much colder than someone who's not even playing at all, and uh, let's talk about Mike Smith, okay? Because I don't know if he's in cold storage or something, but now he has a partial tear of his thumb, and he's out one to two weeks. Like, come on! Like, you are, how many like things is this guy going to have to overcome? I am starting to get nervous that maybe he's just not going to be able to be a reliable person. Or maybe I'm not starting to think that. But it's like becoming clear that, like, I don't know. Because this is a whole different injury. So I guess on the plus side, you could say, like, yeah, this is, like, unrelated to any of his other issues. And once his thumb is healed, he'll be back to normal. But I don't know. And the thing is, with Edmonton, they stink lately. We'll talk about another Oiler later. Uh, but they've lost a lot of games in a row. Uh, you know, Stuart Skinner was someone I streamed in in the couple yesterday for that game versus Ottawa. That was obviously a huge mistake. He got blown up in the Sens one. Koskinen's not any better. I feel like at this point, the Oilers pretty much need to bring in a goalie if they want to have any chance of turning this season around. Uh, so, Brian, I guess there's not much to ask about Mike Smith since he's not playing. But, like, are you going to be streaming in Skinner or Koskinen? Like, the next game for the Oilers is Thursday versus Florida, the team that's been blowing up everybody. I don't care how f- goalie-friendly your league is. Like, people say that the couple is actually pretty lenient for goalies. I still would, like, not be trusting an Edmonton goalie for that game on Thursday. I'd leave them in free agency. I would also be reluctant to trust an Edmonton goalie the way they've been playing, both in the crease and as a team. Mike Smith specifically. I mean, everybody would think this is the moment I've been dreaming of where Elon is saying Mike Smith can't be relied upon. Uh, it's nice, uh, nice, quote unquote, that Mike Smith has this uh, thumb injury instead of re-aggravating whatever was hurt. But when he came back, Mike Smith was not doing well either. He had three bad starts when he was apparently healthy, uh, winless in those three starts with an 877 save percentage. And uh, yeah, while he's out, I don't really want, unless you're just looking for, I don't know what you're looking for, saves or wins? If you're well, wait, to, at the start of the year, he was yeah. getting wins. He was doing really well. No, but if I'm talking about Koskinen or Skinner now, though. Like, oh, if you're left, looking yeah. to start an Edmonton goalie, I'm not sure what you're looking for. I'm sure the uh, the Marc-Andre Fleury whispers are only going to get louder the longer that Edmonton continues to have trouble. I was reading a, a French-language article saying that Marc-Andre Fleury has um, potentially perhaps expressed a desire to move on from Chicago and be traded to a, a cup-contending team. And, of course, Edmonton's being floated out there. So is Pittsburgh. So, uh, I, you know, we'll see what happens. But it doesn't seem we knew the goalie situation in Edmonton was fragile. And uh, here we are. And here they are. 
Man, you know, with the way Edmonton's defense has been playing, I almost wonder if, a, you know, re-signing Tyson Berry and acquiring Duncan Keith wasn't the right off-season move for the team. Uh, yeah, not a good situation for the defense and goalies over in Edmonton lately. Apparently, Connor McDavid was really despondent in the post-game press for that game versus Ottawa, so I feel bad for him. Hopefully, things will turn around for them soon. Next up, Brian, let's go to the 40 to 45% rostered band and the hot streak. We're going to talk about another goalie here that I'd be much more excited about than anyone on Edmonton, and that's Kapo Kakanen, only 42% rostered on the Wild. Again, Minnesota only played one game last week. I had the opportunity to add Kakanen in the cupful where I only have one goalie currently. I really should have, right? I, or you'll tell me, maybe, but like he was great again. He stopped 39 of 42 in the 7 to 3 win over Anaheim. That was Kakanen's third win in a row with Cam Talbot on the shelf. The latest on Cam Talbot is that he's been on the ice for practices, isn't expected to play Monday, so Cochran gets at least one more game before Talbot comes back, though that game is against Colorado, which is a bit of a scary start, but also like maybe a good opportunity to see if he can hold up against some of the hottest teams in the league. So Brian, how do you see things shaking out rest of season once Talbot is healthy? Like, Has Cochran proven himself enough to be worthy of being in contention for the job, or do you think it's just going to go back to Talbot getting the volume of the starts once he's back? Unlike Mike Smith and Kakanen's last three starts, he is doing amazing. Three wins and a 937 save percentage. If you compare Kakanen to Talbot from their numbers for the season so far, uh, Kakanen's got a 917 save percentage to Talbot's 907. 70% quality starts for Kakanen versus Talbot's 58% quality starts. Both are playing below their expected save percentage, but Kakanen is closer to it than Talbot is. Uh, and Talbot is doing a pretty solid Minnesota Devin Dubnik impression all the while. So it's funny because Minnesota tends to find these guys who would probably do really poorly anywhere else, but they protect their goalies so well that you don't really notice it. And they're like, yeah, we like we like Devin Dubnik or Cam Talbot's veteran leadership, and we don't have a plan B because our plan A is to just protect the heck out of our goalie and never let them actually fail. Um, so I don't know exactly what the long-term plan is in Minnesota, or I should say the short-term for the rest of the season, because long-term, I'm sure they'd like to pass the torch to Kakanen. And right now, I don't see in the short-term why Minnesota would stop riding Kakanen while he's hot. Keep in mind, uh, it's been hard in the past for Kakanen to stay consistent. We've seen him go on great runs and then fall off, or we've seen him not be able to get on a run. So it's great Kakanen's on it now. Let's just take it on a game-by-game basis and see how much longer Kakanen can keep this up, because the longer he can... Obviously, the more significant the challenge he mans to Cam Talbot, who has not set a very high bar, but that hasn't seemed to bother Minnesota. So there's a lot of fun factors in play. If I had to guess, the odds are against Kakanen taking over the starter's job from Talbot. But I have him in a league, and I am definitely holding on to him until I see Talbot actually enter the crease. And maybe I'll even wait another game, because if Talbot comes in and bombs, then Kakanen might get right back in. Yeah. So is this a head-to-head league, Brian? It's the cuckupful. Oh, so let me ask you this. Monday is coming up, the first day of a matchup, and Minnesota goes up against Colorado. Are you going to play Kokkinen against a team that just scored nine goals in their last two games? I have no choice. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I mean, you have a choice. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I could bench. In the cupful, I mean, we try and make sure negative points are, are hard to come by. I thought you were going to say because Minnesota isn't going to play again until Friday. So what am I going to Am I going to hold Kokkinen when Talbot might be healthy on Friday? 
Well, I guess you could you could reassess, I guess, after yeah. you see how things go on Monday. Based on the Colorado result. I'm going to play him. He's been so good. And Minnesota's so good defensively. That's the thing. So uh, as scared as I might be about Kokkinen facing Colorado, Kokkinen on Minnesota facing Colorado, a slightly better prospect. Yeah, that should be a fun game. I'd like to watch that game. Hopefully I'll get the chance. Uh, let's do a cold streak now in the 40 to 45% rostered band. And I'm going to go back to the Oilers for, I guess it's now our third time or second time on the show. But uh, Evan Bouchard is the name I want to bring up. He's fallen to 43% rostered. And I don't know, maybe that's even too high because the Oilers are a mess right now. They haven't won a game since they lost Ryan Nugent Hopkins and maybe even before that. Like uh, they lost 6-4 to to Ottawa, like we discussed. Uh, Bouchard uh, had a really good start to the year. He was getting big minutes. I was really high on him and now he's pointless in his last five games and in this last game against Ottawa he was on the third pairing he only played 12 minutes and 38 seconds Tyson Barry got more time than him I thought my whole thing was that Tyson Barry might not be worth holding aside from like a power play role because he's only getting third pairing minutes now if like Bouchard is on the third pairing I don't see any reason to hold him because he doesn't get a power play role either at one point we were calling him like a likely 45 to 50 point guy just because he's exposed to all these players that score so much now Edmonton isn't scoring that much not to say that you know Dreisaitl and McDonald's David can figure out a way to turn this around. Uh, so where are you at now with Evan Bouchard? Do you still feel the way we felt about him like a month ago? Or do you think this cold streak is going to be sustainable for the rest of the year and he's probably not worth holding in most formats? I think it's a similar answer to Sam Girard, right? That Evan Bouchard is probably not always going to get in on all the goals being scored on Edmonton, but he'll get in on enough that he's worth rostering when he is, and he's not worth rostering when he isn't. Speaking specifically to Bouchard's ice time, he had played 24 minutes for three consecutive games before becoming another Dave Tippett victim and playing just 12 and a half minutes on the third pairing because Tippett, I guess, didn't like some of the things Bouchard was doing and was punished accordingly. Uh, But Bouchard, on the whole, is still doing the stuff we'd like to see from him, if not Dave Tippett, putting up two and a half shots a game, getting a hit every now and again, some nice with some good blocks numbers. So, so so long as Bouchard gets those minutes back, I think things are going to even out all right for him. You know, I think the over under for Bouchard is probably 45 and I will lean just a little under rather than over. But I don't think Bouchard's value has changed substantially because of this quote unquote cold stretch that he's on. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he, I'm also maybe more of a panicker than you. And when I see like a 12 minute game, I get nervous. Maybe see like what happens now in the next couple of games if he could get back to the top pairing. It would be really surprising. That sounds like a, a message sending kind of thing. And of course, the way that like I, we, I, I asked, I pinged all the uh, Edmonton followers. We have a feature on our Discord server for patrons where like you can represent your team And then when somebody wants to ask a question about your team, uh, they can tag everybody who has, you know, chosen to rep, for example, the Oilers. I read the Oilers and it's just like everyone's mad at Dave Tippett being like, you know, this is just how he acts as a coach. Uh, He's out of ideas. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. And so, uh, you know, the players get get the brunt of that. And so I don't expect I don't think Dave Tippett, honestly, as hard of as hard a time he's having surviving as the Oilers coach, I don't think benching Bouchard and keeping him on the third pair is going to help him anymore. I think that's going to hurt him, actually. I think he needs Evan Bouchard probably more than Evan Bouchard needs him, certainly more than Evan Bouchard wants him. So I don't think that Bouchard's ice time is going to be long-term affected, which means that I don't think his outlook is going to be long-term affected. 
Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I like selfishly wouldn't mind if Bouchard ends up in the doghouse because I have Philip Broberg in my dynasty league and I wouldn't mind if he got called up and then got a few more minutes than he did in his last stretch. But that's just me. Okay, so let's go now to the 35 to 40 percent range. And I've got a hot player that's 39 percent rostered on the Kings. But to be honest, I just want to talk about this whole line. It's the second line on the Kings, Arvidsson, Deneau and Trevor Moore. So Arvidsson, 39 percent rostered and he's on fire. He's got eight points in his last six games, highlighted by that two goal, two assist game. That was the outburst versus Philly on January 1st, but he also assisted on one of Deneau's two goals in Saturday's game. Uh, speaking of Deneau, only 18% roster, but yeah, two goals on Saturday versus Seattle, brought him to seven points in his last six games. And then this guy who previously was a nobody, but all of a sudden is 8% rostered on Yahoo, which is higher than I expected, but for good reason. Trevor Moore had his third straight two-assist game on Saturday, bringing him to 11 points in his previous six games. By the way, plus on top of all of this, LA has a great streaming schedule next week. They play Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So I feel like if you're in a shallow league, grab Arvidsson if you can, for sure. Like, I feel like in any league you want to grab Arvidsson because he's also on the top power play. Then probably even in a deeper league, you're taking a look at Deneau and Trevor Moore, at least as a stream. But Brian, what do you think in general about this hot run by the second line over on LA? Arvidsson, Deneau, and Moore can't go games without getting points. So you love to see it, right? You love to see it. I think that's all there really is to say about this. Like, Deneau, you've tried to convince me before that Deneau is like a full season roster kind of guy. And I've pushed back on that. Trevor Moore is definitely, definitely not, uh, you know, relative to Deneau. If Deneau isn't, then Moore definitely isn't. And of course, Victor Arvidsson is. It's nice to see Victor Arvidsson succeeding, even though, remember, he started the year with Anze Kopitar and he's since been bumped off. Although I think I just saw Elon somebody on LA is going into COVID protocol. Yeah, Campe is going into protocol. So there's a top power play spot available or yeah. a top line spot. But they can't change. There's no way they're going to change this lineup, right? Like they're going to keep these three together, I'd imagine. But there is an open spot on the power play. Yeah, so we'll see. Watch how the LA line shift because Kempe is out for uh, the next couple games, at least in the neighborhood of probably. So uh, yeah. Keep an eye on the lines. Uh, we like Victor Arvidsson to know and more you can ride on this streak, but I don't think they're, uh, yeah, they're 18% and 8% rostered respectively, and I don't think they should be substantially more rostered than that. Oh, man. So quick to whisk away those guys. I guess, yeah, we need to see it a bit longer. This Trevor Moore thing, like, I didn't even really know who this guy was. But this run is, like, not so short term, right? Like, he's been hot for, like, almost 10 games now. So I guess uh, Brian's saying that he doesn't expect it to last, which is is reasonable. But at the same time, I'll definitely bring him up next week if he has another good four games. Because it's something that I'm taking notice of. I'm curious to see if there's more to this guy that we just haven't seen yet. Because he's never got an opportunity, right? Like, Trevor Moore's never been a top sixer. Now he is. So we'll see how, if he can keep it up. Uh, the cold streak I've got for you in this 35 to 40% range is Anders Lee over on the Islanders. We waited so long for the Islanders to finally play. It seemed like a month went by where the Islanders didn't get a game. Finally, they played two games last week. And if you had Anders Lee, you waited all that time just to get uh, nothing at all, right? Like the Islanders got uh, scored three goals versus Jersey on Thursday. Uh, Lee didn't get in on any of that. And then they were shut out by the Caps on Saturday. So that's it. No points in two games recently for Anders Lee. Uh, Like LA, at least the Islanders do have a good schedule next week. They play Monday, Tuesday. So if you have Lee, I guess you hold for at least those two games. Plus he was on a run of eight points in eight games before they took all that time off. Though before that, Lee went pointless for six straight. Uh, Overall, even with this recent hot streak that he had, like Lee's having a terrible season, right? He is less than half point per game on the year. He's like pacing for his worst pace since 2015-16. So Brian, 
is this current two game cold streak, which I know it's only two games, but it's like it's all we've seen in forever. Like, and but also his season long pace. Are these both sustainable in their badness for the rest of the year? It's uh, it's an unfortunate stat line for Anders Lee. He's doing his job and scoring goals. He has 10 of them in 25 games, but only two assists in 25 games. It's 12 points total in 25 games. Anders Lee has steadily lost minutes under Barry Trotz, though he does he has offset that by shooting a little more and from more dangerous places, even though his minutes are going down. But I think one of the reasons that Anders Lee has so few assists so far is because his points participation is down. A lot of guys you've brought up tonight actually are fine. Like you've, you're finding all these guys in like the 40 to 45% points participation range, which as a defenseman, as an offensive defenseman, that's likely as a forward. Nah, that's unsustainably low. Lee historically has been between 60 and 65% uh, points participation kind of guy. So uh, that's one reason why Anders Lee should do better than he has so far. Also, Lee has just three power play points so far despite despite being on the top unit. Uh, I'm over being excited about Andersley. There was a time that I was really, really thinking that he was about to break through. I just don't see that being possible anymore now that we see the way the Islanders play. I still think he's probably a 55-point guy, maybe 60 points, but uh, kind of one of the more boring players to be at that number. And 55, 60 points is nothing generally very exciting. But keep in mind, the Islanders have a ton of extra games to play uh, compared to a lot of other teams in the league. So that might be one reason to give them a little bump up your watch list if you're considering adding Anders Lee to your roster. Yeah, I think definitely for next week, at least, if you have an open spot, grab them for Monday, Tuesday, see how it goes. You could always drop after that. Okay, let's go down to the 30 to 35% range. I'm going back to LA. We left and now we're back to talk about one more player, 35% rostered on Yahoo. That's Cal Peterson, who's had three straight one or zero goals against games since he actually started getting games. Brian, you mentioned that quick, had that great start to the year. He started tailing off a little bit. He like played well also this past week. He got a game versus Pittsburgh on Thursday that LA won six to two. Next week, starts with a back-to-back uh so la plays san jose on monday and then tampa bay on tuesday and then a tough matchup versus colorado on thursday so i'll be very interested to see how la decides to deploy their two goalies but yeah cal peterson super hot do you think that it's sustainable uh we'll keep watching and find out you're asking me if i think a goalies play is sustainable cal peterson's been all over the place this season but we talked about him last week and several times this year saying cal peterson has a good track record he is tracking to be a legit nhl starter and it would be great if he took this opportunity that's in front of him. He could also just keep alternating with Jonathan Quick. You know, I think it's even odds that Peterson or Quick is going to fall off and Seed starts first. And whoever does sort of take the short-term advantage in getting starts could just as easily lose that in the medium or long term. So for now, definitely, you know, if you're into Cabo Kakinen, Cal Peterson is not waiting on an injured goalie to return. Cal Peterson has a, a healthy uh, guy he shares the crease with and is still out playing him. So that bodes well for Cal Peterson. Plus, like I said, his track record. So I like Cal Peterson as a goalie. And if you're looking for a starter and he's available, there's a chance that he can work himself into a 1A kind of position in LA. Yeah, and I think on short shifts, Ben and Lewis were mentioning how like LA is like looking like a good team, maybe partially based on this play that Brian doesn't think is sustainable from the second line, but still they're doing well. They're winning games recently, so that's pretty good. Don't try and change my words to say that LA is not. I like LA too. I was saying that no. before the year. They were one of my picks to uh, to be dark horses, disregarded at the start, and then coming on strong. 
<laughs> yeah, but can they still be winning all these games once Trevor Moore and Phil Deneau stop putting up these points that they've been putting up recently? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll have to get really good goaltending then. <laughs> Tre- Trevor Moore and Phil Deneau are not there to put up points, for the record. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, why are they on the second line then? But anyway, okay. Anyways, that's They're there on. to prevent points. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, so the cold streak I've got for the 30 to 35% range isn't like really that surprising. I think we'll get to a point soon where I'll stop bringing up cold streaks for these low percent rostered. But I guess Dominic Kubalik, I wanted to bring up just because he's kind of hot and kind of cold, depending on how you want to look at it. So I thought I'd squeeze him in here. Uh, he has goals in each of his last two games. Before that, he was pointless in six. He's been on a line with Jonathan Taves and Alex Debrinkit. And Jonathan Taves, by the way, who's 33% rostered, so also in this band, he's got five assists in his last six games. So maybe it's more of a hot streak. I'm just curious to get your take on another second line that has players that we've pretty much given up on like again it's kind of similar to la right we have to who's like the arvidson in this situation like the the one player that we have a lot of faith in it we even have more faith in to than arvidson but then we have these two uh, tagalongs that we maybe didn't have much interest in a couple weeks ago but now kubalik and taves seem to be doing pretty well so what do you think about these two on the second line moving forward you think their bad season overall is what's sustainable or this recent stretch where they're starting to put up some points I hate to say it because Kubalik and Taves have both been so frustrating this season, so worthless, so unrewarding to anybody who showed them any amount of patience at any point this season. But I'm going to go ahead and say that for Kubalik and Taves, playing with Debrinkit is a reason for me to give them the first look I've given them in a long, long time. So uh, I th- that's... That's my answer, Elon. I'm not optimistic, but I have to consider them because Debrinkit is so good. And we know Kubalik is talented. We know Taves is talented, but we don't know quite at what level he's playing at Stella. Well, we do know it's not, he's not playing the way Jonathan Taves has played in recent years. So that's concerning, but that both of them have at least, you know, some talent and skill and they're playing with Alex to bring it good things could happen and they might be worth a look for a, at least a short-term stream to see if they can keep this up of course they need to stay with Alex to bring it for it to work out and uh I don't know how long that might last for but in the short term yeah you could take another look a new look at Kubala Kintes for the first time in a while Okay, interesting. Yeah, they obviously are talented players. We've seen them do well in the past, like Taves especially. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep this up. Uh, if you're taking a really short-term look, Chicago plays uh, on Monday, right? They play against Seattle, and their goalie that's actually doing well, Chris Drieger, is now on the COVID protocol, which means that they're going to have to trot out Philip Grubauer again, which means for sure Chicago's going to score a bunch of goals. So it might be a good game to stream them in for. Then you can decide if you want to hold all the way to their next game, which is until Friday. Okay, so let's go now to the 25 to 30% range. Here's a player on a hot streak that I'm really surprised that you can get him this low at only 26% roster, which means he's available in a lot of the people's leagues that are listening to this. That's Nico Hishir. I'll tell you, Brian, he's not available in any of my leagues. Like, and to be fair, like we haven't been doing Hishir any favors on keeping Carlson. Like, I feel like I've been bringing up Jack Hughes and Jesper Brad, and we've been discussing like Sharon Govich, who are, is playing with Hughes and Brad like so much. I've been drooling over these guys. I've forgot to mention this guy, this other former first overall pick, Nico Hishir, who's on a great run right now, eight points in his last eight games though to be fair before that he only had 14 points in his first 23 games so that's obviously why his percent roster dropped so much but brian has this recent stretch made you think that people need to consider pausing the pod and rushing to grab nico Heischer if he's still available in their leagues which he very well might be I don't know if it's a pause the pod moment for Nico Hishir, Elon, but it's at least uh, while the pod is playing, go add Hishir to your watch list and then compare him to the rest of your roster 
and see if he might be a worthy replacement for anyone you've got. He shares on a 58-point pace now, which seems right to me. And honestly, if I had to guess whether it's going to be a higher or lower than 58 points the rest of the season... I would go higher because right now Nico Hichir is on the top power play unit, but he's pacing for just 11 power play points. So if you just give him like a respectable, I don't know, 18 power play points uh, to pace for the rest of the way, that's a 65 point pace for Nico Hichir, which is almost certainly worth rostering in just about any format. So uh, yeah, I hope while I've been saying this, you didn't pause the pod, but you did go to see if Hichir is available and and made some decisions about whether or not he's worth adding to your roster yeah maybe don't pause but maybe put it on like a slower speed so that you don't miss too much while you're going to grab nico <laughs> okay uh that, that was a stupid thing i just said okay so let's go now to the cold streak in the 25 to 30 percent range another goalie cold streak that's jake allen another injured goalie kind of like mike smith but i just wanted to bring up the montreal goalie situation in general montreal by the way congratulations they're now in last place in the league it finally happened so i i have a friend who's a big habs fan that's really happy and is hoping that carry price doesn't come back specifically so that montreal continues continues to be terrible and gets a chance at the first overall pick in the upcoming draft. So that's the current state that I'm aware of, of Habs fandom. But yeah, Jake Allen was off for a month. I had him. Luckily, I was able to stash him. He was on like on the COVID protocol and stuff. So then finally, I got him back into my roster for that game last week on Tuesday and or Wednesday. He stunk, right? He led in two goals in seven shots versus Boston. And then he got sidelined with a lower body injury. I'm pretty sure I would have dropped him after that game if he didn't become IR eligible once again. So now he's day to day. And so now we take a look at the Habs goalie situation. Still no timetable on Carey Price from what we've seen. So he's not even like practicing with the team. So we don't know when he'll be back. Uh, Sam Montembeau was actually okay in relief for Allen versus Boston. He stopped 31 of 34. Then he played the next game in Chicago and stopped 28 of 31 in the overtime loss. So I think that's a success for Sam Montembeau to only let in three goals in each of these games. Then we've got Caden Primo back up from the minors. The last game he played was really great, right? He stopped 37 of 39 in a 3-2 win over Philly back on December 16th. So Brian, any advice regarding the goalie situation of the 32nd ranked team in the league? Are you going to take any of these goalies out of free agency, I guess Montembeau or Primo, while Allen is hurt? I would be pretty scared, too. Even if Jake Allen were healthy, even if Carey Price were healthy, I'd be reluctant to grab the Montreal goalie, to be honest. Montreal, noted shutdown team in recent memory, suddenly ranking 29th in the league in team defense at 5-on-5. Five five. We've been through the reasons why losing Phil Deneau hurt a lot for starters, and then, you know, lost to Tar and Weber, and Gallagher's been hurt, and so has Anderson. Anyway, I'm avoiding the Montreal goalies. Honestly, I'm treating them in the way I have, like, I'm trying to think of other comparable teams that I just didn't want to touch their goalies. Buffalo, probably in Ottawa as well, even though both have had, you know, some, some little shining lights, uh, lately that we can look at to, to see value in, in rostering. I would not be very interested, uh, if I cared about any of my like save percentage or goals against numbers uh, or wins or losses. The only reason to roster a Montreal goalie right now is for saves and volume. And uh, that's it. They're probably going to screw up every other category if you roster them. So I recommend against it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I don't have any faith in Sam Montembeau. I guess Caden Primo is somewhat interesting if 
you know, the opponent isn't too scary, I guess. Like, I definitely wouldn't want him against, like, a Florida or Colorado. But, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. They also lost, like, Jeff Petrie in terms of, like, he's just not the same player that he was. So he did actually score. For what it's worth, Jeff Petrie scored a goal in his last game. So is that a sign of things to come? I'm definitely not going to call him a hot streak now because he scored one goal, but it was his first of the year. So who knows? Uh, though he still isn't on the top power play. We'll actually talk about the person who's been on the top power play in Montreal in a little while, but we're still uh, too high percent rostered to talk about this mystery person. So let's go now to the 20 to 25% rostered range. Talk about a defenseman who's also not on the top power play, but doing pretty well. And actually, Philip Hironik, who's 22% rostered on Yahoo, I famously, I don't know, I'll, I'll, to my, in my brain, it's famously, brought him up on last week's show uh, as someone on a cold streak. I was about to ask you if I should drop him, and then you were like, oh, wait a second, he just scored a goal. He scored a goal while I was talking about him. He scored, and he followed that up with a pretty solid week. He had two assists versus San Jose. Then he, even though Detroit got shut out by Winnipeg, uh, Hronik still got six shots in that game. And then he had an assist versus Buffalo on Saturday. So I don't know. I guess I shouldn't have doubted him. Glad I held on. I don't really have a question about him. I just wanted to bring him up and say like I was close to dropping him, but now he's back you know, as a solid guy on my roster, like, do you think I'll get to a point later, Brian, where I'm going to be asking you again if I should drop yes. Hronik? Yeah, okay. I do. No problem. So you think he's not going to keep it up to too much? Well, I'm, I'm not asking for much, right? I'm just asking for like 40-ish point pace. If he gets a point oh. in two games, I'm okay. Okay. Well, then I don't think you will. I think you'll be happy with Hronik if that's what you're expecting. I thought like you wanted more consistency because you look at that six-shot game for Hronik. It was bookended by two zero-shot games. And so, you know, he's not going to set the world on fire. It's been, He might not do anything for you some nights. But overall, 40, 45 points seems like a reasonable expectation for Hronik. Okay, cool. And then the cold streak I've got here in this 20 to 25% rostered band, uh, it was fun while it lasted for Nino Niederreiter. We had a lot of fun on the show telling people they need to rush to grab him while he was playing with Aho. He is no longer playing with Sebastian Aho. His last game, he was playing with Martinuk and Kotkaniemi, and Aho was playing with Tara Vinen and Seth Jarvis. So now it's definitely Seth Jarvis that's the excited guy to roster, though again, Carolina changes their lines all the time. But yeah, Nino is now pointless in four games. Is it even worth looking under the hood? For this guy who's like was so hot and now is so cold, or is this just a hundred percent just deployment? And if he gets back with Aho, expect him to, to be worth rostering again. And when he's not with Aho, he's totally useless. That's it. That's it. That's all that needs to be said about Nino Niederreiter. A hundred percent based on deployment. This is what we've learned over the last couple of years. Seth Jarvis, by the way, not doing much with his deployment in Niederreiter's former spot. One goal and no assists and five shots in Jarvis's last four games. Uh, of course, his deployment could change and Nino could be back on the top line. It doesn't seem to matter in Carolina what actually happens on the ice, just that Rod Brindamore likes to shake lines up every now and then to keep things fresh. So just keep an eye on the latest game day lines. Wink, wink. If you don't follow that on Twitter at game day lines, it's a really, really great Twitter account run by Elon and uh, one of our patrons and listeners, Shams. Yeah, there's also a website that goes along with it, Brian, gamedaylinetweets.com, where you can check, you know, like a lot of people go to Daily Faceoff. It's okay, so for sure, I'm not, not going to say anything bad about Daily Faceoff. They show the lines. We've got the lines listed on that site, which are just the tweets. So you don't have to worry about, like, are these up to date? When's it from? Like, you just look at the tweets. You know, you pick the team. I think it's, I think it's a really useful site. I, I use it myself. Like, and it's nice because the site runs itself. Like, if Shams or I do a retweet, it just automatically goes up to the site. So gamedaylinetweets.com. And yeah, definitely, I agree with you, Brian. As soon as you see Nino get back on the top line in a practice you don't have to wait to see if he'll like do well he probably will do something like he'll be worth grabbing at that point uh let's go 
now to the 15 to 20% rostered range. I think we're at a point now where I'll stop doing cold streaks since at this point it's not surprising for a player that's not rostered to be so cold. But yeah, first of all, this isn't a hot streak or a cold streak, just an FYI that Josh Anderson, who's 16% rostered, will potentially be back with the Habs to maybe help them out as soon as next week. I was reading that he might be back for their Monday, Tuesday to start next week. So if you're looking for an early week stream, you want to take a shot on someone. I don't know what the deployment will be, but maybe Josh Anderson gets back in the top six. Actually, I also saw that Tyler Toffoli should be back soon. So I'm definitely not saying these are going to be the answers to all of the Habs problems. But I don't know, like if you're looking at like a Nick Suzuki, who's been super cold, maybe he can start improving if he gets to play with Toffoli again and or Josh Anderson and also take a look at Anderson and Toffoli if they've been dropping your leagues. You know, everyone's had so many IR spots being filled by all the players on COVID protocol. So maybe these like players who generally would have been rostered have been dropped. Also, they weren't having like the most amazing seasons. But yeah, take a look at Josh Anderson and or Tyler Toffoli. Uh, then, yes, yeah, so we're in the 15 to 20% range. I already brought up Phil Deneau at 18%, so I'll still give you a bonus here. If you need blocks for you uh, people in peripherals leagues, you got to look at Braden McNabb at this point. 16% rostered. It's obviously all 16% is because of those blocks, right? But his ga- look at this game log of the last few games for McNabb. We're seeing 5, 4, 4, 4. Like, it's either 5 or 4 every game lately for McNabb with the blocks. Brian, how do you even, like, can I ask you, like, are his blocks sustainable? Like, is there anything you can look at aside from just, like, time on ice? Like, I saw that Alec Martinez may be ready to return soon, so I wonder if that eats into McNabb's ice time, which then eats into his blocks. But do you have any other ways to look into any fancy stats to determine if a block number is sustainable? The two things I would look at to see if a block is sustain- if block numbers are sustainable are time on ice, like you mentioned, and also a penalty kill role often helps too and McNabb has been playing a big one lately and usually always does so keep an eye on that when Martinez comes back but blocks are uh, you know one of the more repeatable stats if a guy is putting up a lot of blocks over the course of a year or two and his deployment isn't changing likely he's gonna keep doing that unless of course uh, there's a coaching change and the team plays a different style also talking about Josh Anderson Elon uh, the problem with adding uh, a Montreal Canadian is they have no lines I'm actually interested in Right? You've got Nick Suzuki playing with Mike Hoffman and Jake Evans. And then you've got Jonathan Duran playing with Christian Dvorak and Rem Pitlick and Cole Caulfield playing with Ryan Paling and Arturi Lekkinen. Like, it's hard to really get into even two thirds of any of those lines, let alone the third, like all three. Um, so yeah, I would love to see Josh Anderson on the Suzuki line, but who knows? Uh, his peripherals are helpful though. So just don't expect big point contributions. If you are looking for points, I'm going to throw out someone who's 23% rostered, Elon, and that's Cole Caulfield, who I know, I know we've, a lot of us have been through it with Caulfield this year, but since uh, going back almost his return from the HL, he got a goal a few games in, but since then has no goals in his last 15 games. So Caulfield has been averaging almost three shots a game over those 15 games, 40 shots for Cole Caulfield. And I feel like that might be a reason to be interested in him, you know, along with you know, if you're looking for a Monday Tuesday stream, if you're comparing the Habs to the Islanders, uh, the Islanders like no one takes shots there except for a guy you're about to talk about. So I'll, I'll let you get to him. But Cole Caulfield is someone who's shooting who might be worth a look compared to a lot of the other Monday Tuesday guys of, who might be available to you in deeper leagues. Okay, yeah. So I'll just bring it up uh, in this 
10 to 15% range, I wanted to bring up Oliver Wallstrom, who, like Caulfield, isn't scoring, but he is shooting. Like, Islanders, like I said, have just played those two games recently, and Wallstrom didn't get any points, but he had seven shots versus Washington and four versus New Jersey. He also had two and three hits in those games, so I wanted to bring Wallstrom as someone up that might potentially get you some goals. O'Brien, if you had the option between Wallstrom and Caulfield, who would you take? Wallstrom's, by the way, been on the top power play on the Islanders, if that helps. I would take Wallstrom. I would. It's funny because shots on the Islanders need to be prorated. They're like dog years, right? Like one, how does it work with dog years? One dog year is seven human years. I think it's the opposite. But yeah, and I think that the formula also depends on the dog's weight, but we don't have to get too deep into that. So one shot in Long Island is like worth two and a quarter shots on any other team. So like that Wallstrom had seven shots in a game for the Islanders. That's like a a 15 shot equivalency (laughs) right there. Of course, you know, Barry Trotz might not like that. We'll see if he snuffs that out. But, you know, amongst all the other Islanders not named Matt Barzal and including Anders Lee and including Brock Nelson and Beauvillier and Pajot, I think I would just be interested in trying out Oliver Wallstrom and seeing where this goes. If you want a deeper cut, who I didn't mention, someone else on the Isles who's shooting with significantly less ice time is Kiefer Bellows, who's managing, you know, two or three shots a night uh, recently with only 11 to 13 minutes of ice time most games. But he's also someone who's doing really well in putting pucks on net for someone on the Islanders and for someone seeing as little ice time as he is. Okay, yeah. So again, if you're the type of person that wants to stream in a player for two days, try one of them. I actually did add Wallstrom in one of my leagues. I did not consider Cole Caulfield. I'll be honest, I'm also like, just like, have no faith in the Habs right now. Though maybe that'll change. Like you said, like when these uh, reinforcements come in, maybe Caulfield gets on a more exciting line. And it's not just like hoping that some of these shots go in. Okay, so I again, I have one more hot streak in this 10 to 15% range. This is someone I'm like really excited about. And he's been doing well lately. And that's Anton Lundell. Of course, I had to bring up the Panthers one more time. Uh, They scored, you know, these 21 goals over the last three games. And believe it or not, we've got someone available way down a 10 to 15% rostered on this red hot team. And that's Lundell, who's two goals on eight shots versus Columbus and that brought him to 11 points in his last nine games so like sure he's only on the third line he was playing with Maxime Mammon and Frank Vetrano in Saturday's game and sure Anton Liddell only plays on the second power play but I think he's like really talented I think he's like a really good player and the only reason he's in the bottom six is because a lot of players on this team are really talented many of whom we've discussed already on this show so I feel like like the upside is really high for like in future years, like in dynasty leagues, I'd be all over Lundell. He just needs to find a way to get one of those center spots, which I guess are going to be hard to get because Bennett and Barkov seem pretty cemented. I don't know how it happens. All I know is like, regardless of his deployment, I'd be into Lundell right now in most leagues, just because the Panthers are scoring so much and he's clearly getting in on a lot of it. Well, he's rolling. Yeah. Florida scoring seven to nine goals a game. Then you'd think Lundell might be on the ice for one or two of them. And by the way, he seems like he, could be actually good, right? This isn't news, but when Lundell was seeing some top six deployment this year, he didn't look so out of place. Uh, mostly came when Barkov was injured, so Lundell was playing with Verhage and Reinhardt, and I don't think it's likely that he gets back up there into the top six without another injury, but good for Anton Lundell, making the most of this season. Yeah, so for people who aren't aware, Lundell was drafted 12th overall in 2020. Like, the Panthers clearly expect him to be good. Maybe it's surprising that he's doing so well at the tender age of 20 and with weak deployment. But I know that Victor Nuno's come on the podcast before and said that he's super high on Lundell. And, you know, I was probably naysaying and being like, well, how good of a year can you really have in the bottom six? But of course, this is the Florida Panthers. So anything could happen on this team. Yeah, he's really great. Uh, let's go now to the 5% to 10% range. Hard to generally find a goalie who's going to play games for you in this range. But we have one potentially, though he's burned 
me so many times. I, I just, like, can't get behind, like, recommending him. But I'll bring him up. Matt Murray, 6% rostered. He was already, like, sent to the minors this year. He went through waivers. The Oilers, who need a goalie, even they weren't interested. I wonder if Matt Murray got waived again, if this time the Oilers would take him. Uh, but, yeah, he's healthy now we'll see how long that lasts i was actually talking to my wife's like parents like family friend arcadi who was telling me that he watched a game yesterday and he saw someone run into matt murray and he's worried if he'd be injured and i haven't seen anything on twitter about that but knowing hey, matt murray that sounds like a joke like was what he talking like about like he saw someone like bump into matt murray on the street or did he mean no, like, like in the game <laughs> okay i just thought like oh yeah i saw him walking, uh, walking out of the rink and he ran into someone oh, i don't know if he's hurt but i haven't seen any news like let's let's i mean thank you arcadi for the insider tip but i have not seen anything from a, a from a reliable source not to not to yeah. not to you know, say anything against Arcadi here, but I haven't seen a usual source say that Matt Murray is injured. Health is always an issue for him, though. Yeah, as soon as you see anything hit Matt Murray in a way that's non-standard, you have to be worried that he's going to be out for like a month. So I think Arcadi's on the ball. <laughs> Every shot against is a is an injury risk for Matt Murray, unfortunately. Yeah. But okay, enough making fun of the guy because he's had two good games this past week. Uh, two wins against the Flames and the Oilers. He was really good against the Flames, only letting one goal. In this game versus the Oilers, he stopped 33 of 37 to help the Sens pull out that win. Sens are an interesting team. We're going to talk about some hot streak forwards in a sec. Uh, but yeah, like I like the Sens in terms of their offensive abilities. So it's not like Matt Murray has to be like so insanely good to like steal wins for them. He just has to not be terrible, which lately hasn't been hard. But yeah, if you available seems like he's the starter for now so i i think like anton forsberg is also there but i'd imagine they'd play murray if he keeps playing well so what do you think brian are we going to recommend for people to add matt murray i feel like if we do they're gonna get blown up i'm just gonna say it but what do you think yeah well every time i've recommended to myself that i add matt murray i've been blown up so i don't see why it would be any different for a listener I mean, health is an issue, as we talked about. Talent is also an issue for Matt Murray. Uh, so you you play him at your own risk. But if he plays half decently, you know, there is not an apparent ready challenger in the Ottawa crease. You know, they've tried Forsberg for a bit. He didn't hold up. They tried Gustafsson for a bit. He didn't hold up. I think Gustafsson could hold up eventually, but maybe not this season. So it's up to Murray. If he plays half decent, there's there's big value to be had. So you might as well try him for a game or two, and then you pay the Matt Murray tax when he blows you up. But that's, uh, that's the price you pay to take a chance at finding some big value on the wire. Yeah, and the thing is, like I said, I, I'm kind of interested in the Sens, so... I would want their starting goalie at this point in some situations anyways. Uh, so another hot streak in this range, Igor Sharangovich, 7% rostered. He scored again. Like The Devils only played one game last week and Sharangovich scored again. I think it's his fourth game in a row scoring a goal. He's playing with Jack Hughes. I'm like, I've already asked you about him, right? Like, just get him. Just trust me, add Sharangovich for as long as he's playing with Hughes. It's like a Nino Niederreiter situation for me playing with Aho. I want Sharangovich playing with Hughes, especially on this hot run. And I also want to bring up uh, Ben Sherratt. So I mentioned that there's another player on Montreal who's had a top power play role ahead of Jeff Petrie and lately it's been Sherratt who's 9% rostered on Yahoo and he's actually doing okay he had a power play assist versus Chicago on Thursday now that brings him to two assists in his last three games along with good peripherals 13 shots in those last three games eight hits seven blocks so if you need a D in a bangers league like I feel like what's not to like especially down at 9% rostered as I don't know what, what does Dave call the ludicrous streamer of the week I feel like that's 2% but at least in a somewhat likely available spot in a multi-category league I would be into Ben Sherratt 
for like you know not expecting a ton of points but at least you get peripherals and the chance for points now that he's on the top power play which may be getting josh anderson and or tyler to soon so it might be a slightly better power play go for it although keep in mind josh anderson was not on the top power play even when he was healthy so uh, that doesn't necessarily change anything for Shiera, but a uh, power play quarterback, you always got to go for that if that's available to you in a league where, yeah, you have a hard time filling your D roster spots with useful players. Yeah, so Brian, let's say you have to grab a Hab D. You could have Jeff Petrie, who just scored a goal, or you could have Ben Sherratt, who's on the top power play and maybe has slightly better peripherals. Who are you taking for that Monday, Tuesday? I'll take Ben Sherratt. I'll take the power play quarterback. I'm not, uh, Jeff Petrie's going to have to do more than that to win me back. Okay, so let's now go to the dregs uh, in terms of percent roster, but not the dregs in terms of my interest. I've got three players for you, Brian, that are rostered between 0% and 5% that I'm pretty interested in, starting with Matt Boldy. So we're going back to Minnesota. He's only 3% rostered. Uh, Minnesota only played that one game last week, but it definitely went well for Boldy, just like Zuccarello, right? He had one goal and one assist from his spot on the second line with Fialo and Goudreau. Uh, no power play for the Wild in that game, but in the previous game, Boldy was on the top power play, and Minnesota has a slightly better schedule next week. They play Monday and then Friday, Saturday, so you could always at least go for the Monday game and then reassess. But uh, Boldy, how can you not be interested? Maybe he's the guy who's going to help turn around Kevin Fiala's season. I'm into Boldy right now. Me too. We talked about Boldy in relative to Rossi on a recent show where we're like, yeah, they both were lighting up the AHL. We'll see what they can do in the NHL. We both thought that Rossi might be the better choice because he was potentially getting better deployment and had, I don't know if he had the higher pedigree, but his most recent pedigree at least. But Matt Boldy doing really well. 12th overall pick in 2019, seeing some chemistry with Kevin Fiala. I love that play he made to set up uh, Fiala the other night. I don't know if you saw the, the gif but Fiala like scored after Boldy did this amazing zone entry and then passed it to Fiala for essentially, oh, Fiala still did a nice little deke, but Fiala scored. He didn't even celebrate. And like everybody was like in the crowd was up, but Fiala was like pointing to Boldy and it was more like you should be celebrating. Cheer for that guy. I, I, I scored the goal, but he made the play. So Matt Boldy looks, uh, he looks good. He looks ready. Seeing a lot of nice little clips from him. So I am uh, interested to see what he can do with Kevin Fiala. And hey, that could be good news for Kevin Fiala too. Yeah, for sure. My comparison right now, at least in my head, I'm seeing Matt Boldy as like uh, Dawson Mercer with uh, Rossi is like the Alex Holtz there, where everyone is more excited about the other guy. But at least for this season, it seems like it's Mercer and Boldy that are going to be getting the plum deployment to start and maybe produce. So we'll see how Boldy does moving forward. Uh, the other two guys I've got for you, I'll just bring them up to you both at once. First of all, on Ottawa, back to Ottawa. So obviously there's that top line. That's been great. Kachuk, Batherson, and Norris. But you know what? There's a second liner here that's been pretty great as well. And that's Alex Formanton. He had a goal and an assist versus Edmonton on Saturday. Two assists versus Calgary on Thursday. Before that, he had a six shot game versus the Leafs on New Year's. He had a goal and this is versus Philly back on December 18th, which is their like fourth last game. It's not as if I'm like skipping games here. Uh, he was playing on, I think what you'd call the second line with Stutzla and Nick Paul in that last game. I feel like no one's really been paying attention to the sense because they barely play. But at this point, this Alex Formanton looks interesting to me and he's only 1% rostered on Yahoo. And then someone who's only 0% rostered on Yahoo going back to defense. I wanted to quickly ask you about a guy named Erho Vakanainen over on Boston, who's been on the top pairing with Charlie McAvoy recently. He hasn't played much this season. He's only played five games. He was called up just recently, but in those five games, four of them, he has an assist. So he, I don't know if it's just luck. Like I know Boston's been scoring a lot of goals. So Formanton and Vakanainen, if you're looking way down at the zero and 1% rostered players, are either of them interesting? to you are either of them doing something that you see as sustainable 
Well, I mean, that's a tough question because neither one is doing a, a whole, well, I mean, Vakaninen has these four points in five games. It doesn't seem sustainable to me, although he is working his way. Like he came in, played, uh, you know, third pairing minutes, 16, 17 minutes for a couple nights, and then saw 21, 23, and 21 minutes, which is promising to see that he might be used more often. The more often Vakaninen's used, the more likely he could be on the ice with Marchand and Bergeron and Pasternak on either of the top two lines, right? Spreading out the offense in Boston might help the defense produce a little better because, hey, oh, interesting. there's more yeah. than one scoring line. So that could work to Vakaninen's or really any Boston D's favor. Uh, so he's someone to watch. I'm glad you pointed him out. I like how you said he's only 0% owned. I don't know if like that can have a qualifiers only. And then Formanton's, uh, Formanton's an interesting one. He's, uh, he's always had like a bit of excitement. Uh, like I, I like Alex Formanton and what he did in Belleville in the AHL mid second round pick of the Sens back in 2017. It's 22 now, uh, back in his AHL rookie season a couple years back. Formanton had 53 points in 61 games as a pro rookie, which is great. Uh, so I just want to see, uh, Formington get ice time, which is what happened recently. He's playing with Stutzla and Connor Brown, which is a fun little line to put together. And uh, I think you just keep an eye on him. He's got three multi-point games in his last four. And the one that he didn't get a point in, he had six shots. So yeah, Alex Formington's looking fun. Honestly, I just, I want, Ottawa needs to be fun now, right? They've been waiting so long. I'm so glad they scored like a few games worth of goals in just those two against Edmonton and Calgary. They've been laid off so long. I thought there'd be a whole lot more rust on the Sens, but it looks like they're getting straight down to business and Alex Formington's getting in on goals. And I think as long as he's putting up points, he's going to keep getting opportunities. All right. Yeah, definitely check out if Formington is available in your league. He very likely is. And Brian, with that, we've gone all the way from players up at 100% roster down to 0%. So I think that is a show. What a journey we've been on. And I hope everyone listening has enjoyed the ride along with us. If you like the show, of course, we'd love to hear from you. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Uh, we wouldn't mind a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you can review the podcast. Give us a little bump there. That would be great. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm winding things down now. Uh, so I'll continue by also saying that we have our great patron community over on Patreon and well the community is hosted on Discord and actually this is a fun week to become a patron of Keeping Carlson if you may be interested because this is PatronCast week Brian we're on this Wednesday we're going to be doing our show where we take all of the questions from the patrons we have to answer them all no matter how long it takes so now is, would be a really fun time to consider becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson you go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron sign up join our Discord and if you are already a patron go right to that January PatronCast channel over on the Discord and throw your questions in then brian and i will answer them on wednesday and that's just one of the many perks we try to give to make it worthwhile to support our show so if you want to learn more just go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron uh but with that brian uh like i said we've talked about quite a few players so i think we can call this a job well done so let's cue the outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dabra hockey and powered by our patrons including our group of super supporters patty rob david derek tom andrea christopher and flash thank you all so much for your support Thank you to our team of Cupful co-commissions and our Cupful coordinator, Kevin A. Bear, for keeping our 
patrons-only fantasy league running smoothly. KKUPFL.com for more details there. Thanks to Shams and, of course, Elon for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on our three essential Twitter accounts at Game Day Lions, at Game Day News NHL, and now at Game Day Goalies. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Oh, and Yahoo. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Ryan, what should people do over this next week while they wait for our next mega show? Please do everything you can to let everybody know that fantasy hockey is for everyone. 